G'day listeners and welcome back to another episode of the Matter Mentality podcast. This week I'm joined by another special guest. We have been pumping out the guests lately. It's fantastic trying to network and communicate with everyone. Mercia Balash. Did I get it right? Did I fuck it up? Damn it, I fucked it up. No, it's good. It's good. <laughs> All right. I'm like, good, I was man. like, I nailed it off the camera and I'm like, I'm going to fuck this and actually go to record it. I'm going to sound really smart or just absolutely <laughs> butcher it. But my friend, you're joined by, well, back in our, you're in our former home country, aren't you? Back in um, in the UK? No, I'm I'm actually in Eastern Europe in Romania. So I'm pretty far away from the UK, Australia, the US, ah, pretty much everywhere. Like middle between <laughs> nowhere. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's, the top, what's the time zone you guys have there? You're seven hours behind? uh yeah about seven hours behind yeah wow there you go i've never been there did you um did you manage to catch up with dalt in or around europe i know he's been in brad circling around there somewhere i haven't i've actually been busy with the masters olympia this past weekend yeah it was you know really nice a lot of athletes Mm -hmm. a lot of like legends in the sport you know there was also the Eastern Europe Amateur Olympia in yes. the same, you know, same weekend. It was quite a bit of a shit show because nobody knew exactly how it's going to be until, like, I think a few months before because they had, like, the amateurs first yeah. pre-judging, then the pre-judging for the pros, like, a, then, like, a half an hour, 45-minute break, then the finals for the pros, then the finals for the amateurs. Yeah, and right. then they split up the divisions. Yeah, like, you know, it was, like, well-knit and classic and whatever one day and then was bikini, bodybuilding, men's physique, and figure fitness on the other day. Yeah, right. Yeah, pretty weird, but all around good show. I've heard a lot of positive reviews. You know, um, it was organized by the people that bought the Olympia, if I'm not mistaken, by the Wings of Strength, which... Oh, um, yes, yeah, yeah, yep, yep. Yeah, and, and uh, one of the main um, know, managers... You call them that? Oh, one of the main people there is uh, Alina Popa, who is, you know, a former Miss Olympia, well, Olympia contender. I think she was giving Iris Kyle a run for her money at some point. So, yeah, she being Romanian, you know, she knows the people, knows the landscape, yeah. chose the perfect location, everything went smoothly. And yeah, everybody was super happy. Man, the, yeah, the I always find the best shows are run by people who have been athletes themselves because they know what they want. Like they know what serves the athlete, but also the the crowd and the people, right? Like they tend to put on a good show. Uh, before we even ramble further about bodybuilding, because we're going to go straight there for sure. Um, <laughs> we're just going to go straight there and talk about it. So before we do that, <laughs> give us an intro of yourself. Give mm-hmm. us a bit of background. I know about Evil Genius. I know about what you guys do and I love it. it I always buy the sticky notes and the, the uh, downloadables that come through. I talk to Dalton Scaff all the time, so I'm always up to date. But um, for those who aren't aware, who are you guys? Who are you? What do you do? And what is Evil Genius? All right. Um, so I'll get straight into it. My official title in Team Evil GSP is Chief Research Assistant. Or <laughs> funny little story, when giving the title, I just completely misspelled assistant. I just put A-S-S instead of AST. So I'm chief research ass. Nice. <laughs> and that stuck. The product said, no, that's staying. Like, cool. Yeah. I'm a research that's, ass. That's definitely a broad personality so, thing. That's sticking. You get that. 100%. So that is me. I'm a member of Team Evil GSP. I'm 
pretty much I think I'm I'm one of the original team members, you know, because that was Broderick's initial uh, plan to make it a team that's, you know, it's a team evil GSP because I wanted it to be a team and now we are there. So Broderick, he is the marquee person, Broderick Chavez. Um, he is the evil genius, been in sports performance for almost 40 years. So he is the man. Um, I'm basically his research assistant, his understudy. I'm uh, one of the coaches, one of the authors on most of the books. And we deal with sports performance. The evil GSP is you know, evil genius sports performance. That's what we do. We take good athletes, make them better via performance enhancing drugs. Of course, you know, how, how do you make a good athlete better? Give him more drugs. It's easy. <laughs> what do you mean he's a 1% athlete? How do you make him better? Give him more drugs. Yeah, give him 0.5% more drugs. <laughs> <laughs> we just base dosages upon percentages. Yeah. <laughs> but in all honesty, yeah, that, that's what we deal with. We deal with athletes and, you know, we're going to include bodybuilding you know physique sports in athletics you know for the purpose of making sense um because you know bodybuilding is more of a pageant than an actual sport there's yeah the, the sport can be defined or you know there has to be some sort of an athletic endeavor you know some sort of a competition while bodybuilding is you know too much a, a beauty pageant is just based on the the actual sport is in the background and you're judged by your physique that is a result of the sport yeah that makes any sense yeah so yeah, yeah always, but that's always a weird a one, isn't it? That's always a weird one. Like, I always cop this shit being a competitor and having a love for bodybuilding. Everyone's like, oh, it's a pageant more than a sport. I'm like, yeah, but it's also, I've played high-level sport. I've played high-level rugby league. I've played other sports as well at school level and like especially Australian school level. And it's the <clears> only <throat> sport or pageant that I've ever been involved in that takes your entire life. Like, don't get me wrong, at that next level, the professional level, at like, you know, rugby league, cricket, soccer, whatever, it takes your whole life. But like, when you're trying to go pro as an amateur bodybuilder, you don't miss. You're not allowed to miss. It's all like behind the scenes stuff where, you know, there isn't a weekend bender that you can fit in or a weekend drug night or like a weekend shit, you know, random food that you can throw in. You're like, I'm just going to have KFC five nights this week. You, you can't do that and expect to be at the top. So as a pageant, it's more demanding as a lifestyle than any sport I've ever played, but it's not a physically sport demanding sport on the day, which is makes it so fucking weird to explain to people, right? Yeah. And, you know, if you <clears throat> watch a lot of Mike Van Wick's stuff, he said that when he played football, you know, his entire day was literally just, you know, training, 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 training. And he's like, oh, I just need to go to the gym. I don't have gym and, you know, football practice and have to do this and that. And it's like, oh, I just need to lift weights. Cool. Yeah. But the, the downside is, you know, the actual prep is just competitive starvation. Like literally it's who can eat the less food, probably, you know, drink the least amount of fluids and have the smartest person taking care of, you know, the last minute manipulations to present a physique. And as all sports, yes. Number one, genetics. Yeah. If you don't have the genetics, you're fucked. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, fuck, there's another question we'll get into as well. We've already got like two preset <laughs> questions now for the end here. Genetics versus fucking, uh, I, how do you even put it? You put like nature versus nurture, genetics versus yeah, like yeah, ethic. Yeah. You could put it as fucking, you know, the one we're going to talk about at the end. 
There's fucking 10 preset questions. I came in this and I'm like, we're not going to have preset questions. We won't do it. I will just talk shit. <laughs> and now we're like, oh, we got to talk about this one. <laughs> um, but how do you find how do you find uh, working amongst the evil genius? You know, you guys do a lot of workshops, a lot of seminars, a lot of presentations. Um, we were talking about, I was literally conversing with you before my presentation because I never spoke to Americans before. And I was like, how do you, how do you think I go about, you know, do I dial down the intensity of language? Do I talk a bit softer? Do I make it a bit more like, you know, uh, I guess the more layman approach? And you're just like, well, who are you talking to? And so you guys have obviously been around populations and countries before. So how do you find all that? It's just working with, with Broderick and, and our colleague Scott, you know, it's just a privilege, just literally learning from the best. I, I can't describe it in any other way. Learning from the best and just having, you know, just a fuck ton of fun. Yeah. We're, we're just having fun, you know, causing all sorts of ruckus everywhere, just traveling the world, talking about the things we love, which is pretty much, you know, drugs, training, some nutrition <laughs> here and there. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. It's fun, learned so much, and just it opens your eyes to like this whole new universe about, okay, we taught me new things about sports. Okay, now we need to know chemistry and biology. It's not just yeah. biomechanics. It's not just physics. Oh, there's also chemistry. Okay, pharmacology, chemistry, how drugs interact, how drugs interact with certain individuals. And then there's like the really wonky shit that nobody can pinpoint. Like, why does do some drugs do some things that yeah. on paper should never do? Like, you know, um, anadrol is is a perfect example. It is a DHT derivative. It literally should not have any or very little impacts on hematology. Shouldn't have any sort of estrogenic progestinic effects. Yet that drug, a lot of retention of. of you know, fluid and creatinine, you know, there's a lot of coolness, roundness. Very, very potent at driving up red blood cells, hemoglobin. And also, it gives a activation of the... And this is a bit of a debate, you know, is it the progesterone receptors, the estrogen receptor. Most literature um, is unclear about that. I would say it's the progesterone receptor because there's absolutely no way you can, you can uh, pinpoint anything concrete to the estrogen receptor, I think it's more the progesterone receptor. So you get progesterone, like nandrolone-esque type effects from a DHT derivative and also increase in RBCs like you'd see from something like a center column drug like testosterone, actually even more like boldenone. Interesting thing. On paper, it should not happen, but in reality, oh yeah, it does happen. Isn't it like, again, and that makes it, it makes it so fun to explore and try to understand is like, even at the most cellular level, the biochemical level, the biochemistry, biophysical level, everything is like a puzzle and trying to figure out how it fits. That's how I describe bodybuilding coaching to most people. Everyone thinks it's like this really complex thing. And like the reality is if we simplify it down to the most basic level, as a coach, our job really is just putting this puzzle piece, like this puzzle together on stage, you know, the level most of the athlete doesn't really need to know about it, but we're looking at you know, what do pathways do. We're looking at what's missing, what needs to be built over time. What do we need to improve upon? How do we develop that on? How do we bring that on stage? You know, what's missing in their life to complete this picture here? Does this piece go here somewhere? And then you go even lower than that. Like where you guys start to take things is like these, these drugs and these intricacies and these interactions and these pathways and these systems, how does this do this? But how does this do this? Or should these two things interact? Does this counteract this and counteract that? Like we start to get this, we start to see like 
drug design protocols where people are taking compounds that counteract each other and, or just using a drug to treat a drug to treat a drug. And you're like, okay, but can we do this another way? Why are you just taking these things? Why are you just throwing them in there? Is there not another way to do this that can get a similar effect without the consequence? And you just see like idiots just start to get to a point where they're, they're not really trying to look at the picture. They're just trying to throw everything at the sink. There's like, there's, you know, it just gets so intricate and fun. I think people will fuck it. And, you know, talking about that, and this might be our first tangent, but I see a lot of people doing the whole, oh, I'm just going to take very little, but uh, just a laundry list of drugs. Like I'm going to take, you know, 0.2 mLs of this, you know, and that's another thing that pisses me off. People talking mLs instead of milligrams, like, I'm like, how the fuck would I know what 0.2 mLs of, you know, your nandrolone is? Like, is that a 300 milligrams per mL? Is that a 100? Is it NPP? Is it dec- <laughs> deconate? Like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, it's like, I would take 0.2, let's use milligrams. I'm just, I'm pissing myself off at this point. So, you know, I'm going to take 100 milligrams of trenbolone and 100 milligrams of nandrolone and then 100 milligrams of mastrone and then just let, let's smear some shit on it and put like 500 milligrams of tech. Like, and I'm like, and the reason for that is, oh, well, you know, because I'm taking so little of each compound, I'm not going to get the negatives. Yeah, but if you look at the list, you know, and add up all the milligrams, you're taking a lot of shit. And, you know, some some things might not need, you might you might not need 500 milligrams of testosterone. You might need more Mastron. You probably don't need Trenbolone. DECA might cause you a few other problems that you're not thinking about. But, you know, just throwing everything in there and then, like, Oh, why do my nipples hurt? Well, it could be, you know, progesterone, prolactin from trenbolone, nandrolone, or it could be estrogenic from the testosterone. I don't know, because you just threw in a bunch of shit in in. there. (laughs) Yeah, how can I pinpoint a problem? We can do blood work, yeah, but, you know, it's kind of like, still, we need to correct a lot of that, and probably we're going to end up with mild dose of testosterone, just a TRT, or as we call it, sports TRT background, and can get into that later. Um, and also, then we can, maybe if you're getting progesterone effects, maybe you could push up the Masteron, or maybe not Masteron, maybe use Primoval. Maybe, I don't know. There, there's a million ways to do this, but, you know, just throwing in everything at the same time without knowing what each compound does, especially, you know, not only on paper, but in you, because you might have a different reaction than I do. Exactly and right. That's and- very individual. That's like at, at the basis of coaching and being coachable or like, you know, I know there's idiots that will come before they have a coach and they'll think they know everything. You know, people like even coaches should admit they're still learning. I always admit I'm still learning. I'm reading papers and I'm reading applications. I buy sticky notes. I buy eBooks. I'm like, well, what's the fastest way for me to learn this so I can go then learn further and I know in what direction I'm going. But you get people to come to you with this idea. They think they have this clue. And within like, when it comes to me, like I have a very simple process when I start with a new person who thinks they know everything, not so much thinks they know everything, but they're doing everything all at once. And they're telling me these different goals they've got, where they want to go with their fatigue. I'm, try- I'm trying to map out the process. I'm like, this doesn't make sense. So I do what I call a strip back. And basically like when we start, I'm we're just clearing everything out. We're getting blood work done. We're going to clear everything out first, go back to baseline, maybe maintain a TRT of testosterone because like, you know, that's all you need right now. We don't need all this other shit. I want to see what actually works first, where your baseline returns to. And that'd be the same for their training volume, their cardio volume, their food volume. Like, let's just take it all back now. From this point, we improve body composition, improve health, get you to a decent starting position so that everything is reactive and sensitive to a decent position. I hate the term resensitization, but to a degree, I'm trying to resensitize you to grow properly because 
you've just fucked everything and thrown it all in. Now we can start to maintain variables and understand what variables are working and what variables aren't, and we can start to make changes. Is, as you said, is TRT enough? Or we're bringing in something like a Masteron. Okay, is that enough? Do we want to drive growth with Primabolin? Is it actually real Primabolin? If it's in Australia, it's probably not. It's probably got something fake. So let's just make sure that we're trusting the Masteron instead. Maybe we drive that up. Do you want to run a little bit of Decker? How long do we run Decker for? We're going to micromanage these things with smaller increments, at least to a degree that we can see what the result is. Because if you're someone that aromatizes at, say, 250, 300 megs of test, why the fuck are we pushing your test to 500 to 1,000? We need to know how you respond. So having that clear data, oh, you start to get puffy nipples and you start to get some acne problems. You're starting to get a few issues around gyno. You're getting hair loss. You're getting bad dreams, all these things. But we're, you know, we've got X amount of drugs in here and these things are happening. Okay, so why the fuck would we push them higher? Why would we add more stuff in? Why would we do the, why like, once we can start to control the minor variables a bit more, we can see what's working. We then know where to push or pull or take away from right in. Unfortunately, it seems to be still a common practice, even with education like you guys out there that will come up and just go, I just take everything and see what happens. But, but fucking why? Do you put five different petrols into your car and say, let's see what happens? I, I wouldn't see why people would do that. As just as I would see, I wouldn't see why people would add five different drugs into their body. Like that, that's pissing me off. Like you treat your car better than you treat your body. Yeah. Like you change your car maybe every, let's say, you know, five, 10 years, maybe your body is with you until, you know, you literally die. You, know, you don't change that. So, and if you have to change things in your body, like organs, that's bad. That means you fucked up. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> a, that's a problem. Not a good <laughs> <Pretty> thing. <bad. laughs> yeah. So, you know, it makes sense. Put petrol into your car. Don't put five different types. Don't put diesel and petrol, just say, oh, you know, maybe I'm smarter than the engineers that made this shit. I, I'll put diesel and petrol. I'll find the perfect ratio of diesel to petrol, and I'll, I'll, I'll make it. You know, I'll also put some butane gas in there, maybe some fucking wood alcohol. You know, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm the man. I'm just gonna make this into a fucking Ferrari out of a fucking Honda Civic. <laughs> the fuck. <laughs> I mean, yeah, why the fuck not, right? Why the fuck not? Just do it and see what happens. I mean, your car's going to fuck up. It'll cost you five grand, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. But, I mean, you're, you're right. Oh. You're right, though. You are right, though, in the sense that, like, you know, people, like, I always I always like <clears> this conversation <throat> where people try to come up with their own little ways to try and beat the system, and the, the system is that everything comes at a cost. We, as athletes and individuals, like, I get my I get my clients to genuinely sit down before we have the conversation about enhancing or going down that route of taking those things. Sit down and genuinely genuinely weigh up. <clears throat> are you happy to run this like this uh, these things for life? Are you happy to run these things forever? Are you happy with the consequences of what happens if you do that? Are you happy with the health risks? Are you at peace with the fact that this will, if we go down the larger route, take life off yourself, take time off your life? Are you happy with those potential outcomes? Because we can't determine that it won't. And the likelihood is that it probably will. So if you just simply start throwing everything in and going, oh, well, fuck it, but you haven't waited. Like they're very real conversations to have because once we start down that road, they're big trade-offs. Like I set non-negotiable with my clients. If you come to me in that route and that endeavor, that's what you want to do. There's no drinking alcohol. There's no drinking uh, party <clears throat> drugs, recreational drugs. There's no taking all these things that we're already impacting liver enzyme, liver functionality, kidney function, kidney enzymes. We're already playing with these things as it is. I'm not going to allow you under me or any of my coaches or any of the system or just advice in general 
to then impact that further with dumb shit. Like, oh, I just went out for a night and did like a gram of Coke and some MDMA and, you know, some other fucking hypotoxic shit that I've just thrown in that's probably mixed with ketamine or speed in Australia and you don't mm. even know what you're getting. And I did like half a liter of just straight alcohol. Nah, dude, we're not doing that. We we need to look at what are you willing to trade off? Make those problems, like accept those consequences and those those costs, which is I want to do X with my physique. That means I'm not going to put these shitty things in if I'm already making that decision, right? Yeah. <clears throat> And, you know, it's, it's pretty much what you said, but, you know, pe people come like, oh, can I drink alcohol while I'm taking gear? Like, you can do whatever the fuck you want. It's yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> imagine, <laughs> it's like, but think of it this way. It's, you have X amount of health. You can't have extra health. You know, it's not like you're playing some RPG and you can just level up your health. No, this is. This is it. You don't get extra health. You you can take all the fucking liver support and bullshit supplements. You won't get extra health. You're not going to get super health. Mm -hmm. Everything you add in your body will just lower that. So you can take your, you know, your PDs that, you know, might lower your health, might impact it, but you'll get, you know, the results you want. Or you can go out and, you know, have beer and cocaine and whatever the fuck you want, and, you know, in, you know, IV speed or whatever tickles your fancies and that's gonna drastically bring down your health so it's kind of like you can do both at the same time if you really want to but that's gonna be a very short ride you're not gonna live long like <laughs> you know it's 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 pretty mind-boggling that people don't understand that and i've i grew up around you know medical professionals my entire life including people that actually knew drugs like uh er anesthesiologists like people who have seen, you know, the worst that you can see. And every time they explain medication, I'm not even going to use the word drugs, medication this way. Any drug you take, any medicine you take is going to help you improve your health in one part, but it will take away from another part. You might need some medication for your heart but it will fuck up your kidneys and liver. Mm -hmm. You might need to take something for, you know, an antibiotic, but that also kills your gut microbiome. Mm -hmm. So that's something else, you know, yes, you don't want to die of bronchitis because that's worse than, you know, just having a few weeks where you, you know, you shit yourself or whatever, you're constipated. It's always a trade-off. And it's pretty simple. It's you're going to take the drugs until you get better you die or the drugs kill you. Mm -hmm. Basically, you live or you die is just what's going to kill you first, the ailment or the drugs. It's either that or you get better. And that's exactly how Broderick put it to me. And when I heard Broderick say that, I was like, okay, now it makes even more sense. Yeah. No, nobody's going nobody's gonna to say like, oh, well, you only have you know, the possibility to take this much penicillin. No, they're going to give you penicillin until you get better or you know, either the penicillin kills you or the AM1 kills you, or they're going to give you a more potent drug. But it's the same thing. I, I don't know why people have a hard time grasping that. Even the same thing with, you know, rec drugs and, and anabolics. You could do whatever the fuck you want, but it's going to be really bad. You, you, you usually have to choose. You either want to have a life where, you know, you go partying, which is pretty bad for everything. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't like rec drugs. I don't partake. But I think that that's more harmful than 
any anabolic. I'll debate anybody on that topic, even the most fucking liberal douchebag weed heads. I'll debate them on their fucking weed and kratom fucking mushroom fueled journeys. But I, I think of it this way: anabolics. You can take literally fifty times the medically recommended dose for probably about 10, 20 times the the recommended duration. And you're still not going to impact your health as much if you did four times the recommended dose and twice the recommended duration of something like mild, like, you know, uh, ibuprofen and NSAID. Like check your liver enzymes after taking NSAIDs for two weeks. They're going to be really fucked up. If you take two weeks of, I don't know, D-ball, Anavar, whatever, your liver enzymes will be impacted, but not nearly as much. That's a that's an experiment. If you want to, if you want to do it, you can experiment with that. You know, I'm not just saying, oh, oh, you know, take illegal drugs and shit. But yeah, if you if you are already doing that, you can just check it out. <laughs> Send us the feedback. Let us know what that's to say. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but, but isn't that it's 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 interesting because like one is so much more taboo than the other, right? Like it's like people have this right right of passage, but this expected experiential, like I oh, just try, it. go out and try it, have have the experience, you know. If you go to if you go to Greece and you know you go to Mykonos and you go to these places and you you go to I don't know uh, like Barcelona and you go to all these party locations, mm-hmm. you're gonna do drugs, you're gonna do these things, you're gonna party and have fun and do all that. It's it's expected. But the second you mentioned even introducing TRT level testosterone, it blows the fucking mind out of probably 90% of the population. The taboo, even like in places like Australia, where the association of a hormone that men are supposed to have, that if I introduce that into my physique, into my body, I am some sort of vain, narcissistic, ego, temperamental, neurotic piece of shit that is just about trying to bang chicks and look good naked. Yet we can see clearly up until what de- what degree that there are huge health benefits that come from testosterone. It's a fucking, it's a sex hormone that we need to survive. That we have across life to be the dominant fucking species. But there's this, like this, this strange acceptability that people haven't really come to comprehension <clears throat> with that the recreational side is almost, oh, it's okay because, you know, we're kids and they're young and you're going to do those things and go have a good time and experience life. But we get this huge condescending almost like vilification of something that people in the elite world just want to do. And generally some guys probably benefit from just being healthy, introduce some testosterone. Like it's so fucking wild to me that we get looked at as such monsters and weirdos. And like, it's all for these negative reasons and all these dog shit reasons. But if you tell someone that, Hey, we're just going to do some Coke. No one bats an eyelid. Not one person, like maybe one in a hundred goes, oh, that's a pretty bad idea. But the majority of the group goes, hey, you got a key? Where's a $5 note? Mm. But if I'm like, hey, I'm going to start <laughs> doing TRT this week or I'm going to start doing some fucking, you know, low dose of tests and I'm going to do some master on, I'm going to do a fucking growth phase. I might run some Decker. And they're just like, that's your, what the fuck's wrong with you? Like, let's, you need help. Don't do that. Like every doctor's like, oh, get off it. Like, what? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, medical community aside, because I, I really don't want to get into that, but, you know, the, the average chuckle nut is like, oh, won't your dick fall off? Oh, you, you won't, your hair will fall off, your dick will fall off, you know, you're going to have to fall off. Yeah, like, yeah, maybe, maybe if my legs double in size, my dick will look smaller, but it won't be smaller. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
it's uh, it's just so 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 much bullshit. And I think for the general population, it's just that association with needles. It's yeah. like you know they see needles and like oh heroin, heroin is bad, and heroin is bad, but. Come on, you can't, you know, if you pretend to be smart, you need to understand it. There's a difference between, you know, your testosterone and your heroin. You just can't compare the two. But that stigma of of needles, I think that's what most people, uh, you know, get really wrong. Honestly, I'm not sure if it's the whole culture that was, um, you know, promoted after the big U.S. scandal with the baseball players, you know, that, you know, drugs are cheating and drugs are bad and whatever. Or, you know, going back even further with the whole, the Tour de France where everybody was caught doped, like doped out of their fucking minds. <laughs> there wasn't one clean fucking athlete there. Yeah, like, did they have to drop, okay. I, think, I think they dropped the Tour de France to like the 15th place finisher because everyone else was absolutely just drugged up. Yeah, and even that guy, he was probably just taking less and, you know, got away with it, or he was smarter than the ref, but come on. <laughs> He's in healthy ranges. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's healthy ranges? You no. got a thousand free tests. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, I, I don't even try to understand why, you know, stupid people stay, say stupid shit, because I consider that I'm not stupid. Yeah, I mean, look, if if people didn't say stupid shit, we'd probably run out of content to share and help people with, right? Pretty much. <laughs> or at least we wouldn't have that much fun. <laughs> yeah, li- life would be more boring because I wouldn't have much to laugh at. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, and even that is a perfect time to, to, to move in discussing those things because mm. people have this weird perception that, you know, like heading down that route of, of elite sports or high performance sports or any high level sport, or any fucking sport, like <clears> this <throat> idea that this person's doing something for competitive edge. Like we're surprised that people who are trying to be the top 1% of the world or the 0.1% of the world are doing something to get a competitive edge. And you hear these Joe schmucks who were literally like these fucking mums and dads who sit on the couch, stuffing their face with Doritos and pizzas and fucking Oreos who no doubt in their twenties and thirties, snorted so much coke off toilet tops and fucking phone screens that it is enough to kill someone but they find out that an elite athlete was trying to get an edge over something he's done his entire life to try and knock off that title or get to that position where he can you know pay back his community or support his family or you know just be at the fucking top because you know you dedicated your entire life to it we're somehow able to sit in judgment and this moral high ground of superiority that, oh, I would have never done that. That guy's a bad role model. He's a monster. You had three guys run you through a toilet on like a Saturday night 20 years ago, but you're going to say that this guy is a bad role model because he's taking his sport to the 11th degree? Like, shut up. I mean, if you actually, you know, get it like, un, you know, clean sport, undrugged sport, it would be boring as piss. Mm-hmm. Reach some just some fucking weak ass, slow, tiny motherfuckers pretending that they're athletes. I'm, and, you know, yes, the genetically elite will always be elite among, you know, unenhanced individuals. But still, like, if you look back 50, 60 years ago, the average, let's say, NFL defensive lineman was like, what, 250, 280? No. I know in Australia, it's more like rugby. Um, yeah. You know, 
the biggest guys in rugby were like what? Uh, one ten kg, one twenty maybe. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like big guys. No. Yeah. Now they're like almost four hundred pounds. They're like closing in on one hundred and fifty kilograms of of body weight or more, and they're fast. Yeah. And they're not fat. Yes, they carry more fat than your rag, you know, your regular beach boy. But they're not fat. They're yeah. big and muscular and fat and mobile and athletic. Yes. So, do you think that's just oh clever coaching? No. You think that's just better food? Oh, genetics. I mean, it's still the same genetic pool. Maybe it's a bit wider with you know all the, you know, the world. You know, you can travel around across the world, and you know that leads to different gene pools just converging. But still, I don't think that's the reason. I think it's just more and better drugs and better understanding of drugs. I, I don't I don't actually think that it's anything else than that. The the stupid part is though is who are you offended for? Like why does it bother you? Are you you're you're paying to watch a sport. These guys guys and girls will put their bodies on the line to the like especially when we get to contact and combat sports where like actually not even combat sports and, and contact sports. Every sport has some degree of extremity to it that risks something. If you're a fucking, if you're an extreme bike rider, for instance, a BMX, you see the fucking tracks they have to ride now. There's concussions <clears throat> coming out of the asshole for most places. Broken limbs, broken arms, broken bodies. You look at fucking downhill louvre and skiing. Dudes have run into trees coming down fucking mountains at like 100 miles an hour in just a, a wet suit for fucking snowboarding. And we're like, oh, these guys shouldn't, aren't going to do the things to help them recover or try and push things further. Why, why, why wouldn't you want, why is that a big deal to you? Why does that bother you? Like, I want to see these guys recover as hard as possible, <clears throat> train as hard as possible, be as, as good as they possibly can and push their performance so far that we're just like, science can't get better than this. They physically can't improve because what the fuck else are we paying for? You're, you're, you're more than happy to sit in ent entertainment and watch them smash each other at a hundred kilometers an hour because they worked out, I think it was in rugby league, the contact of two front rowers meeting off an explosive start is something like the size of two Mack trucks hitting each other, but with no protection. Ooh. Like the, yeah. the concussive force <clears throat> of two linebackers with helmets meeting each other was some of the dumbest contact intensity that you could possibly have. But we'll sit and watch that, but then be upset that they want to have the ability to recover properly or like help themselves improve and get better and not be as broken. Like you're more than happy in 20 years time for them to be washed up and like, you know, riddled with CTE, concussions, calcified brain tumors, fucking no memory recall, the works of what can go on from that, broken shoulders, replacements, hip joint issues. But the second they want to take something to make their, their career while they do have it a bit better, they're somehow monsters. Yeah. And, and that almost, I almost didn't want to say this, but I will. It's like when we talk about professional athletes and professional sports, people you know, see drugs and they immediately go testosterone, you know, yeah. anabolic steroids. But can anybody define a drug? What is the definition of a drug? Yeah. It's a substance that has a, a when ingested, has an effect on your physiology or psychology. Mm -hmm. So caffeine is a drug. Yep. You are taking drugs. You are drinking I'm drinking a monster. I'm taking yep. drugs because there's caffeine in this. So, yeah, okay, that is a drug. Now, let's see. What is a performance-enhancing drug? Well, it is a drug that gives you 
an, adv- an advantage. It enhances your performance. So does caffeine enhance my performance? Yes, it makes me faster, more alert, gives me a bit more precision, makes uh, blunts pain slightly. Okay, cool. So if you take caffeine, it is a drug. If you take an NSAID, which kind of reduces swelling, kind of reduces pain, yeah, okay, it's an analgesic, cool. That is a performance-enhancing drug. Now, let's think a bit outside of the box. If you're a marathon runner, like, you look at those fuckers, and it's like, okay, well, what, what kind of drugs did these guys take? Because they're stickmen. They they're, no, they're natural. Well, not really, because that is an endurance sport. Endurance sport is very um, red blood cell dominant. It oxidizes red blood cells a lot. So you'll see them do the whole, you know, blood doping EPO. Okay, cool. That is also a drug. But there's other ways to do it. For example, uh, the tanning drug, melanotan 2, increases your red blood cells a lot. Not on WADA's list, and I'll get into that in a second, but what it also does, tanning drug, makes your skin darker. It gives you more sun protection. So if you're doing a marathon in, I don't know, the fucking desert or somewhere in the sun, just having that extra resilience to sun, that enhances your performance because you don't get heat stroke. So even the fact that you're getting that tan, it is enhancing your performance. People are just talking about, you know, blood doping and EPO, but yeah, you take melanotan to even just for the tanning effect, that tan offers you protection, allows you to finish the race without, you know, getting heat stroke. I think that is also something that enhances your performance. So, you know, where do we draw the line? What is, you know, what, what is and what isn't, a performance enhancing drug what what when people say like oh he's doping what what is doping is it everything on the water list is it everything on the water list plus everything that involves you know needles is it you know just your your basic caffeine pill is it taking more i don't know medication of you know otc medication is it fish oil people don't people don't think like that people are just like drugs like okay what drugs define give me a list like uh Ah, okay, you're dumb. Shut up. Sit down <laughs> and don't talk to me. <laughs> yeah, just everything you said is a mute point. Keep your opinion to your fucking self. Shut up. Honestly, that's that's what people don't get. And again, with, with the melanotan, um, there's this new um, peptide that is supposed to be the new sex drug, new libido enhancing. It's PT141, I believe. Uh, bro, bro, melon, something I forget the name. Um, it's basically just MT2, melanotan 2 with a small alteration. So, anything that will be considered if that if melanotan 2 flags in a WADA test, that will also flag. And I think WADA just doesn't want to piss people off with you know by banning a drug that will enhance their sexual performance. Because <laughs> I think like, yeah, you know, if I had to choose between having sex and winning this dumbass for I'm going to go with the sex. So fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting my dick in every time. Sorry. I'm just going to do that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Fuck you guys. Fuck your sports. I'd rather ha- I'd rather have sex than, you know, do your dumbass sports by dumbass rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's funny, like you said, how the, the, fir- the immediate thought is like this, like – the, the notion is to go straight to doping, right? The notion is to go straight to like doping must mean uh, a, an exogenous hormone. The exogenous hormone must be anabolic steroids. 
that's what they're doing. That's what dopey means straight away. We had a guy as one of my, when I was growing up playing rugby leagues on my idols, it was a very scapegoaty tactic. Like it's very common. I find in Australian sport where they'll find one person who's failed or flagged and they'll pick him out and they'll run him through the, through the grinder and basically use them to say, no, we're cleaning up the sport. It's going to be better. You ruin that guy's career for a while. He's out of the works now and off you go. And everyone, like every mum under the sun will attack them and say that they're the problem and blah, 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 whatever else. Shut up, Karen. But the, the, the frustrating part is that's not even like, that's not even the concern. It's not even, the, it's not even like, that's not even doping. That was just like, you know, they'll use like recreational drugs. And <clears> one, of, one of them described how they had to use something like an ecstasy-based drug to actually calm themselves down because they, they performed at such a high pressure that they found something like a, almost like a hallucinogen actually allowed them to relax more and focus on the situation in the game. So it wasn't like a performance enhancing drug that people kept describing as like, it's a drug cheat. I, I, I don't know about most of you, but on the research that I know of taking ecstasy, those people didn't perform better. They were a lot more fucking spaced out and a lot more fucking trippy, but people go straight to these, like the instant, doping accusations or these drug cheat accusations like the correlation is always some form of anabolic performance enhancing androgenic steroid in australia we have this weird retroactive law enforcement <clears throat> regard to sport they will enact a law and then charge anyone prior to the date of that enacting where they were tested positive to that drug i if i remember correctly i can't guarantee that it was but bpc 157 was put onto that list and there was like 14 four, two or three teams that went through the absolute ringer at like very well-known athletes who were told by their rehabilitation, their sports specialists, their physios, that they would take this, you know, the MCL and ACL industry basically went from career ending to like three months. And everyone's like, this is insane. Science is going great. Fantastic. Sport comes out and goes, Oh, guess what? You know, this is now banned across these sports. We're going to now enact this BPC 157 and peptide is, is, is barred. These <clears throat> players now banned, fined, kicked out, lose points, go through these scandals. But it was never established that it was wrong at the time. It was just these teams trying to find an edge within the boundaries of the fact that you said it wasn't wrong. And the fact is, you look at that drug, it is a recovery agent. What you were doing at that level, like you're bringing that in really, and you're like, well, fucking BP, BPC 157, not taking that to grow 20 kilos of muscle mass. I'm especially with someone with an ACL injury, I'm bringing that in to incre increase the recovery rate so the guy can have his career back and train and play. You're more than happy to watch him hurt himself, but you don't want to let him do the recovery side of it as well. Like it just fucking, it, it irks me what people don't perceive or what they don't understand about, but then want to have an opinion on. <clears throat> and funny you mentioned this. I do believe that this whole bullshit about uh, demonizing, you know, TB and VPC, these are still like, um, I think they're, if you can buy them, they're labeled as research chemicals or something like that. Yeah. That's halting the progress of them being actually researched and perfected into medical tools, something that, you know, you can, you as a doctor can actually use on patients suffering from burn injuries, you know, horrible accidents. Like this can actually be used in the medical field on people who, really needed not for sports performance but you know just to recover some function of limbs or or you know recover after skiing accidents you know your recreational skier you know that's you know recreational sports i think have more injuries than professional sports because it's just dumbass motherfuckers who yeah. haven't been athletic for the past 10 years trying to really live their like 
teens and 20s, like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go and, you know, play football now because, you know, me and the boys just, you know, got back together. And, like, all they're all, like, you know, half broken and haven't played anything for, like, 40 pounds on white. Yeah, yeah, they just run into each other and just, like, oh, my, my shoulder, oh, my knees. And, you know, that's, you know, cool, okay, but why not have tools that can make them heal faster and more, you know, have a more complete healing process? It's because uh, some fucking water dipshit that's demonized TB and BPC. And now, you know, the entire world is deprived of these potentially, you know, not life-saving, but super useful compounds because they won't be researched because everybody wants to stay away from them because they have this like stigma of, you know, being performance enhancing drugs or doping or whatever. And that's what's halted, um, ultimately halted, steroid production the last um pharmaceutically engineered you know actually researched and so on anabolic is to the best of my knowledge uh primavolin which is a 1970 something drug 71 72 so we're basically our most sophisticated and refined anabolic steroid is 50 something years old we're working on technology that's 50 years old and it still fucking works like a charm. Imagine I was going to say, the, fun, you know, the funniest part about that is that it's probably one of the safer compounds to use in trying to facilitate growth. Yeah, exactly. And imagine if we had another 50 years of research and, yeah. you know, with today's advancement. Yeah. Fuck. Don't worry, we could no, spend because... 50 years learning about how to use like, uh, uh, oh, fuck me, I'm going to piss myself off here. Um, some algatide, things like that. We're going to use, we're going to spend 50 years yeah. to learn how to improve obesity and help people not be hungry and try and, you know, decrease uh, or increase appetite suppression, which is what most of those compounds all do anyway, with the bare minimum, either increase nausea sensation or decrease appetite, which is fine. Cool. I'm, I'm excited that happens, but why do they get that? Why is that a, a tool? Like we're trying to really push the whole, you know, we need to improve the obesity epidemic. Correct. We do, but that's a, that's a drug that's cheating. Is that not cheating? Is that not assisting you in the performance of losing weight? Is that not helping you with the assistance of shutting down your appetite so you don't eat as much? How is that any different? But if we want to get the increased production and scientific and development improvement of androgenic anabolics or even non-androgenic anabolics, looking at any of the list of, of supplements that we use, if the issue is health, well, then wouldn't knowing more about them make them healthier and safer? If the issue is toxicity, well, learning how to uh, comprise them structure them, build them, make them better. Would that not make them safer? The d delivery mechanism, like you don't like the idea of needles. Okay, but we can make it safer by having protocols in place. You know, we can go to a methadone clinic here and get those sorts of, uh, of products to help with drug use. But if I would, but if we go there for that, that's the end of the world. You're the worst person alive. So in that absence of science and development, like you said, the last drug we've got is 50 years old. So that's actually been synthesized and man-made to improve that aspect. We're 50 years behind the curve, but in every other aspect of health science, where it's like, yeah, like, let's keep doing it. Let's keep going. Let's learn about these things. Yeah. Even at the point now we've got in, in psychology, in clinical psychology, we're looking at things like uh, hallucinogens and psychedelics to work on PTSD because they realized having this anti-drug philosophy was redundant and a moot point because it actually has benefits. But then it comes to testosterone derivatives and testosterone products and androgenic supplements and they're like, nah, that's toxic. That's bad. 
Yeah, and and all the while the the forefathers of psychology were all heroin and cocaine. things. <laughs> like, do, do you know that uh, fucking Freud in his era barely used to make this like glass vial, like this like brown glass vial with a white liquid inside, cocaine. You literally yeah. had like shots of cocaine. Yeah. Like you can go into like a, a I think it wasn't even called a pharmacy. I think it was, it was called literally a drugstore. And you can OTC buy just cocaine, just cocaine shots. Oh yeah, I'm just gonna have a shot of cocaine because I'm. It was actually labeled as a tonic. Yeah, yeah. It's like I don't have my monster. I'm just gonna have a shot of cocaine today. Yeah, and that <laughs> it was like we literally just talked about this recently in class. And it's funny how many people like get into subjects they don't really understand. But we were discussing the phase of Freudian psychology and the early forms of psychology as a, as a as a practice and a a field. And it was like, it was this early stage of him trying to make his name for himself after working around Carl Jung. And he was trying to differentiate himself between the two schools of psychology, analytical psych and psychological analytics. And I'm <clears throat> oh, sorry, psychodynamics. And he literally was just like, I think every, basically every problem that the psyche could have is, you know, there's many theories he started coming up with, psychosexual, psychodynamic theories, all these things. Um, psycho, uh, what do you call it? Freudian, <coughs> Freudian coping mechanisms and that sort of jazz. But his theory to a lot of these problems was the solution is cocaine is that you don't like, you don't have enough cocaine and therefore it's like causing these psychological issues. So the solution as if he was prescribing an SSRI an antidepressant and anti-anxiety was cocaine. Like yeah. fucking fantastic. <laughs> but like if we didn't well, advance technology in that research, we'd still have doctors prescribing cocaine to solve these problems. But we look in this field and it's like, well, we could just keep with the underground labs, which are definitely toxic, or we could improve the education and the research and make them less toxic. Yes. I think uh, this might be one of those moments where we can interject that, that big question you had. Uh, I'll, I'll let you get to it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a great <laughs> one. I was thinking like whether we wait to the end or not, but no, we definitely go for it. So... We've talked about this on the Bros of Brains podcast. You know my colleague quite well, Aaron, Aaron Scaff, um, elite strength coach. But we talked about this on the, on, the, on the Bros of Brains podcast. But really good question for you. Of all people, you and Broads would have a field day with this question. Do you <laughs> think that if we were to go to the Olympics and allow every drug imaginable to be on the table with no restrictions and no limitations and no fines and no, no one's getting sanctioned, it's just basically free-for-all Olympics, do we see things change or do they stay the same? And here, here's the, the actual answer that will slightly shock you. I think that they would change, but not as much as people would expect because everybody in the Olympics is fucking doping. It's just that they have to go to, you know, designer steroids, which are more shit for your health and less beneficial for performance. So, you know, you're getting more side effects and less, you know, actual performance enhancing effects. While, you know, if you'd actually let them take everything under the sun, yes, they will be better, but they will also probably be healthier than what they're doing now. I don't think we'd see less health. I think we'd actually see more health because if it was, you know, everybody was open about it, then people could actually go to, you know, doctors, get blood work, get treatment, mm -hmm. find people who understand these drugs and work with them openly, not just, you know, like third-party intermediates and so on. I think that 
they would be better, not a whole lot better. Well, significantly, you know, there's a you know significant threshold, but I think that they would also be a lot healthier than with with the shit that they're doing now. You know, like a, a fucking oil change, if if that if that means anything to you. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I don't think that's healthy in any way. Oh, <laughs> uh, the best bit is I know the show that you even know that from, which is fantastic. <laughs> you've, you've seen the show surely right you know what i'm talking about yes yes yeah. yes that's, yeah good i've heard it from from different sources but yeah that was one of the <laughs> yeah that was one of the first times i heard about it like actually like oh is that that's what it's called okay yeah but and i i can completely see the point and again we come back to that idea of like if you're an athlete at any level you want to see athletes at the top be the fucking best right like you if you truly love competition, you love elite competition. You love seeing the cream of the crop rise and the peak get to the peak fucking better. If Usain Bolt's sprint is 9.68, I want to see it as a fucking 8.68. If you know we're seeing fucking the 200 at this speed, they're seeing Michael Phelps pull off seven medals because he ran the 1500, he swam the 1500, the 400, the freestyle, the breaststroke, the 200 and the 50 meter sprint. Like you're doing all those things in the same fucking week at the Olympics. Motherfucker, I want to see them even better. Give me more than that. I want to see that improve. Like we're looking at fucking long jumps. I want them to have to, I want them to have to extend the size of the pit because guys are just clearing it. And it's like, oh fuck, we've got to change that. Like there was that yep. one guy I remember when I looked uh, back at some research on the javelin, they ended up <clears> having <throat> to change the weight of the javelin because the guy was so strong. He threw it past the field and almost hit either as either a, a spectator or an officiator. And he cleared the fucking field <laughs> and then to take the javelin and put it into an oval and then decrease the, I think they must have used a very similar like Roman era javelin where it was like weighted to pierce. And so obviously like the emphasis on the speed and range was a lot greater. They had to change all that to equate for the fact that this guy was so good that they had to change the sport. I want to see that shit. If we're in the Olympics, I want to see them have to change the rules of a sport because people are just dominating it so badly. And they're like, oh fuck, we got to change this. Because why else are we watching the elite in the world do their thing? Why do you want to handicap them? If they're the genetic freaks, Let's amplify that genetic freakness. Yeah, you know, I and I think you know, out of all people, you know, the the not Mark Bell, the other guy, his brother, uh, the bigger, faster, stronger movie. You know, like everybody wants to see, you know, the biggest guys, the strongest guys. Everybody wants to be bigger, faster, stronger. You know, and people, you know, again, it's it's this new fucking retarded crazy blow, like. What is this after taking? You know, what's the rock stack? Like, that's bullshit. You don't know that. Stop fucking pretending that you do. You have absolutely no clues. But it's kind of like Hollywood. Do you want to see Superman look like, you know, like your average looking dude on the street? Do, do you want, uh, you know, the original Batman or do you want, you know, the jacked up, you know, fucking. Twenty inch arm Ben Affleck Batman. Yeah, do you want you know Ben Affleck in his fifties to be like completely fucking jacked, or do you want just some guy in his twenties with a beer gun? Exactly, <laughs> literally, exactly. Like, why? Why should the elite look like you? Why do you want to watch the elite and look have them look like you? There's a reason why you're not the elite, and that's fine. But why yeah. would we hold them back? I don't. I, I can't. I can never understand it. Because at the end of the day, 
you know, and bodybuilding is a prime example of this. We pay to see the monsters. We train to see the monsters. We compete to see the monsters. We Everything about the sport is emphasizing the extremity and you go to see it. But then you complain when you see it in the gym because, oh, well, the, you know, these guys are taking drugs and they're steroids and it's unhealthy and blah, 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 blah. But again, we come back to that notion like no one bats an eyelid if you do a three-day bender and then go to work on Monday. No one gives a shit. No one gives a shit if you down like a bag on the weekend and then add some hallucinogens on the way home. Like no one cares. But you got the guys that like you you will pay to watch them. You'll ask for their signature. You'll go to the events. You'll go to the fucking, you know, essentially a bodybuilding show is the freak show from back in the day. It's the freak show. It's the circus. It's the fucking corner. You know, the, the side show of the circus where the freaks have come out to play. You'll go pay and support it and watch it, but then you'll try and pass judgment. But your your money is literally telling us that you want to see it. So guess what they're going to do because they want to see it? They're going to keep doing it. And it's going to be, yeah. it's going to get better and better and better. But wouldn't you want it to see it be healthier and improved and you know have greater research, more improvements, better education, better knowledge? Cunts don't just add random stacks together full of fucking bullshit that will kill them in five years' time. We can actually have longevity of the sport and the athlete. We can have improvements in the sport and the athlete. And we can do that across every fucking sport. If we are more open to the conversation instead of making this weird taboo topic, like I see guys all the time, they get in trouble because like on the weekend, they'll go do a bender. Like, you know, they, you, especially in Australia, we, we have this weird, this weird drug culture or, or sorry, drinking culture, but you'll give a 21 year old $5 million for a contract in sport and then be like, oh, don't drink and don't party. What, what do you think the 21 year old is going to do? Because you can't give him much else. You only do so much training. You don't want to recover anymore because you don't want to do drugs. So you can only do so much training so much playing, so much recovery. And then you're going to say, hey, don't go party. And also, you know, be smart at 21 with all this money. Well, then let them fucking train harder. Let them train longer. Let them fucking perform faster, perform better, have better social, better environments to learn and train in and, and be in. But let, let them take the sport even fucking more extreme. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, th th that's the thing that pisses me off. You know, all this, this whole judgmental culture, like, oh, if that guy's, bigger than me or better than me you must be cheating like no it's just you may be dumb you may have shit genetics you may be a lazy fucking cunt well how about that how about that guy trains for two hours a day every day and does his cardio and eats his meals and you just eat doritos and you know just watch pornhub all day and master me like how about that a good day <laughs> yeah you know it's probably a super fun day but still you can do that like once a month and, you know, it'll <laughs> still be fine, but <laughs> you don't have to do that every day. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's the thing. You don't do it every day. But yeah, it's a, yeah. Uh, I don't know. It, it's, it's something that gets me wild. It's like, you know, I knew, you know, I knew that a chat like this, we could easily just rip into the fucking chemistry and compounds of drugs, but half my listeners won't even understand that stuff. <laughs> and, you know, that stuff gets fun for us. And we're like, let's paint this picture and let's put this puzzle together and, you know, let's talk about these athletes. But like, mm. this is the stuff that people don't even like you know, that extreme where people don't even comprehend that stuff. Like, but even at the local level, like in your, in your culture, in your sporting community, in your environment, in your elite levels, you, people don't even understand this shit. They still don't even understand at, you know, watching sports on the couch, on the TV. They don't even understand what goes on and they want to pass judgment, have opinions, talk about what they could have, should have, would have done all this shit. And I just sit there. I'm like, I remember I watched, I got so sick of watching professional sports with friends because they all have this opinion of like, you know, State of Origin, for example, like it's a big deal in Australia, huge deal about contact rugby league. It's like the pinnacle of our sport, basically the Super Bowl over here. And mm. it is like some of the fastest pace, high intensity, high collisions, high injuries, plenty of fights. 
And you'll get these numpties that sit on the couch. You go have a beer with them or something like that. Never even played C grade sport, you know, D, D fucking third division. And they'll sit there telling about how this player sucks or their shit and they would have done this and they could have done better and their crap and not worth the time and fucking blah, blah, blah. And you're like, you, you couldn't even make D grade and you're going to sit here and talk about how this elite athlete is not as good as you or could be better or this shit in X, Y, Z. Like it, it fucking blows my mind. But then they <clears> want to <throat> do better and they want to get better and you pressure them to be better. You want to watch the sport. Their logic is, okay, to me to get better, I take some stuff. I get better in my training, better in my recovery, better in my performance. And then they take the stuff and then we pass judgment on them if they get caught and say, hey, you're a piece of shit. How the fuck does that work? It's, and you know, this goes way beyond sports. There's, uh, well, you know, probably you know of the new trend with, you know, brain doping and, you know, enhanced cognition, biohacking, all that mumbo jumbo. I you know, I think that that's nothing new. I think people are trying to enhance how much they can work, how sharp they were at work. Mm-hmm. Like, you watch every movie about Wall Street, and there's probably fifty scenes about cocaine. Yeah, <laughs> Quite you know, the, those motherfuckers. Yeah, <laughs> they had to be awake and sharp for the stock markets, and that's what people don't understand. The stock market isn't necessarily the U.S. stock market. It might be the one in Germany. If you trade in Germany. You work on the time, you know, on the timeline of Germany. So your nine to five is probably, you know, midnight to, well, you know, whatever nine a.m. It's it's literally that. You know, you have to work according to the country where you have your stocks. Yeah. If you have global, you're fucked because that's a twenty four hour job, and you know how else are you gonna fucking be awake and sharp for twenty four hours if you're not using some form of stimulants and let, let's take it even down a notch. Students and especially med students cramming for exams. Those guys are fucking popping Adderall like it's yep. candy. Yep. Like literally like Tic Tacs. Yep. Why? Because they need, because they were partying all year and now, oh shit, I got a week to cram for all my exams. Yep. So I'm not going to sleep for a week and just live off of, you know, Adderall, ca- caffeine and, you know, Red Bulls. And what are they? Are you gonna say they're cheating if they go yeah. and pass that exam? Have they been cheating? Yeah. No, oh, okay, so that's not cheating. Yeah, so well, we've drawn a, we've drawn a moral well, line here somewhere. Yeah, like half your fucking doctors have done that, but it's not cheating. Yeah, the amount Would you want to have like shit doctors. <laughs> the amount of stories I've heard having coached nurses and doctors and like meds, uh, what do you call them, like um, EMTs and stuff over the years. Mm. The amount of stories I've heard about the way they perform and what, you know, and the, you know, whether they're secondhand stories or how real and true it is, but things that they have performed their jobs under, things that they've done to be awake because they have to work a 20 hour surgery or a 20 hour inspection or a 20 hour shift on the ward. The human body isn't supposed to do that. It shouldn't function at a high rate of performance and anxiety naturally for that long. So, what the fuck do you think they're doing? But at the end of the day, if that surgeon operates that well on my spine, because I have a spinal disability, I have a fucked back. If I were to get the surgery required to fix it, they told me to have, I would have to get opened up, have my discs removed, have them fused together, my nerve taken care of, severed and reattached and all that sort of shit. If that doctor was to perform that and I'm like, oh, don't have him do anything that will make him better, that's <clears> cheating. <throat> if that makes him perform better, motherfucker, take whatever you need because literally my life is in your hands, so I don't give a fuck. 
if it is how you performed your job for 20 years, guess what you're doing? The same thing. I'm not going to have an ounce of issue with you doing that. Is that fucking performance enhancing? I don't give a fuck because it means I get to walk out of that surgery room and it means I get to wake up the next day. Good job. You do you, bro. I don't care. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. You know, and pe- people really need to open their eyes and see, you know, PDs through these lenses. They're, they have been, most of them at least, have been created with the purpose of making you better medically. They are medical tools. You know, do they enhance your performance in sports? Yes. That was not their original intention. Well, that's a bit debatable on some compounds, but, you know, it's, you need to understand that if your life was on the line and somebody said, okay, you can have a shit life, just be depressed, and, you know, your life will be shit, you'll be depressed, you'll never get an erection, or you can take a shot of testosterone every week. Are you going to take it? Fuck yeah. Is it cheating? Uh, Well, no, because my body doesn't freeze. Okay, so... Why are you harping on everybody else? Why are you harping on people for doing something that makes them better? If you want to be better, nobody's stopping you. Mm-hmm. You can do whatever the fuck you want. If, you're, if you don't want to do it, then okay, sit back and stay in your lane. 100%. It's, and literally it comes down to be yeah. that simple, right? It's like, is, you know, we, we can debate the debate, not in debate, we can discuss the chemical structure of compounds and why they were created and what we use them for. But at the end of the day, if you don't want to use them, well, that's your opinion and your moral choice. Fantastic. Good for you. Great stuff. But at some degree, something you've put in your body has probably been some form of performance edge that you've used. You just haven't recognized it that way. You just haven't looked at it and gone, this oh, yeah. gave me an edge. It's two o'clock in the afternoon and your diet shit, your exercise is shit, your sleep is shit. So you use a fuck ton of coffee mixed with about 300 liters of creamer and two fucking fucking tables of, of sugar well guess what that's your ca- that's your caffeine hit to try and get you through the afternoon that's kept you in your job is that not a performance enhancer because you've gone from having no sleep being tired your cognitive functions down here i'm gonna have some caffeine now i'm up here that's still a fucking degree of performance enhancing yeah it's it, you know it, it bothers me that people don't think of it that that way they, they, they just like the you know think they're smarter than everybody else and like oh you know that guy's cheating like no that guy's doing his job if you're yeah. a you know, if you're a professional athlete, your profession yeah. is your sport. Yeah. That is your job. You go there, you go there to make yeah. money. Is, you know, you know, the world are you making more money than you? Fuck yeah. But he's a genetic elite and he does what it takes to be the best. If you're a subpar accountant, that's probably, you know, you probably have a shit job and you're not doing the best. You know, you, you could do more. Okay, I just had to ruin the conversation for everyone because I was busting the piss, but we're back. Um, <laughs> all right, so this is actually a really good chance to kind of move away from drugs in sport and move into a drug into drugs in sport that we know. Um, but I want to kind of touch on it a different way. Everyone views, for some reason, right, everyone looks at bodybuilders as cheating and for some, some fucking reason, everyone is on the same plane. You have access to drugs. We all do it. There's untested and tested federations, same for powerlifting, same for strongman, all those sort of things. We know that. Because we want to see the freaks. That's what we want to see. And everyone has this weird notion that that drugs are cheating. Yet we see people use drugs at the local level and gyms everywhere all the time. And they all look like shit. They, not majority of them look like crap. So if the drug was the determining factor, why doesn't every single person that uses testosterone with some masterone with some decorance and, and primo not look like an absolute beast of a human at 3% body fat and fucking 120 kegs? 
the question I have, or this com- this part of the conversation, I guess, goes is how much of it is that drugs? Is it androgens? Is it non-androgenic steroids? Is it non-androgenic performance enhancers? How much of it is genetics and the genetic lottery and the <clears> genetic <throat> gift? But then how much of it is it also the conversation we had the other day, which is your sheer fucking work ethic under the bar, in the kitchen, under the load, where shit gets hard because most cunts can't go there. You can have like, and you know, Kai, uh, Phil Heath talks about it in Generation Iron One where he says, you know, Kai pushes a whole like talent beats, a hard work beats talent, blah, blah, blah. And then Phil's like, yeah, but talent and hard, talent beats hard work when talent works hard. So we get to this point then, okay, so you've got to the genetic talent for bodybuilding. You've got the genetic talent for it. You've got the drug protocol for it, but you have fucking no work ethic or sheer focus of that that ability. And so you don't look like much. Even if you do take the drugs, even if you do have genetics, at a certain point, just being able to train fucking hard has to matter. And we had a, a pretty decent, like absolute banter of a session about it, but I, I wanted to actually bring it up because I think it's a fucking unreal point is how many people haven't been through something hard or haven't been through hard shit haven't been hard under the weight and have that psychological ability to unlock that level of training where yes, I am taking drugs and yes, I have some genetic potential in this sport, but I also need to fucking go hard when I'm in the gym, two sets of texting intensity and then talking about RAR and leaving some of the fucking <laughs> tank. Oh, I've done two sets over two hours. I need to have a deload this week, bro, because my program is a four week macros, a meso cycle. And I'm in my 16 week <laughs> macro phase. Cool, man. That's fucking fantastic. But a mesocycle was established with the intention that the elite athlete training has 150% acquisition of load over that week and needs to accumulate over those four weeks to then back off and resist injury. You're doing two sets and texting and then waiting three hours to do your next set. That there, There's so much more in that nuance that people don't fucking discuss. And it shits me. Ah, fuck. That's that's ten different tangents. I know. I know. <laughs> that's ten rats. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so where where do I start? Okay, I'll I'll start with uh you know how much is is genetic genetics versus um drugs versus hard work. Oh, we we can go back to the um original. What was it the 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 Bayesian experiment? I think the that was the research paper where. They gave people that had drugs, training, or nutrition. Somebody had like a perfect diet, uh, perfect training protocol, and then there was the random apple that didn't train, didn't eat right, and just took drugs. The one that took the drugs had more progress than the guy who trained hard and more than the guy who actually, you know, had a good diet. So it's clear that, you know, drugs work. Drugs Mm -hmm. work more than training. But there's a caveat to that. Yeah. Yes, drugs will work, but they will take you to a certain point. And at some point, it's kind of like flights. If we have like a guy who trains hard, you know, the hardest training natural, and somebody who just takes a gram of gear but does nothing, the guy on a gram of gear will probably be bigger than the natural, even if he trains hard. You know, genetics aside, let's let's try to factor that out. Um, Probably still be bigger. But probably he won't be as lean. Won't look as good with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably carry more muscle mass. Now, if that guy just ate 10% better and went to the gym one day a week, 
you will fucking blow the the natural guy out of the water. No, not even a question. But now, if you want to put him on the same page with somebody else who's taking maybe less drugs but really works hard, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, there's a gap. There's a gap here. Yeah. The the guy that trains hard, eats well, and takes drugs will definitely beat the guy that just does minimal effective dose when it comes to training and just takes drugs. That's why, you know, you see people at the gym, they did take like a fuck ton of drugs and look like shit. Yeah, because they're probably just slacking off, not doing shit, you know. Yeah. They're probably eating inconsistently, eating shit, partying on the weekends and, and mm-hmm. so on. Genetics, that is, I think the hierarchy would be genetics, drugs, and then we have, you know, training nutrition. The factor, the genetic factor, again, it's all about all the combination of the three. So if you have somebody who's extremely genetically gifted and just does the minimum amount of work, you know, just basic diet, nothing special, yeah, he will probably win a pro card. He'll probably be competitive pro shows. But once you put him on stage, you know, at a high-level pro show with guys that have his or better genetics and that actually put in the fucking work. A work ethic, yeah. Oh, he'll, he'll, yeah, he'll look like a fucking anorexic chicken. You look like these, you know, like, what is this guy even doing here? Like, get the fuck out. Go home. Go home, lift some weights, eat some chicken and broccoli, come back next year. It's it's just that. So, one, you know, all of these three, they can't exist without each other. Now, just to go on, you know, how much does training account for this? So, you know, identical twins, you know, one, both doing same drugs, same genetics, but what about training? Well, training hard is always going to be relevant. Now, the whole training hard is, it depends on how you define hard. Yeah. I would define hard as being, um, I, I would actually look more at the consistency. Hard training doesn't have to mean going to absolute failure. It doesn't have to mean lifting the most amount of weight or doing, you know, the, the Dorian Yates hit training. Training hard is like, yeah, you, you, Jay Cutler, he trained hard, but he never went to failure. Yeah. He just did a fuck ton of volume. Yeah. Just was, you know, didn't fuck around on his phone. Wasn't, you know, trying to hit on every chick in the gym during his workouts. He was consistent day in, day out. He put in the work. He trained close to failure, but not to failure. And he was one of the best of all time. Now, if you go to somebody like Dorian Yates, he actually trained less than Cutler, less volume, mm-hmm. less times per week, but he had more effort or, you know, yeah. most people call it intensity. But, you know, in sports science, intensity is actually load on the bar. Effort is how much you, you know, how hard you try. So he was trying really fucking hard. Like he yeah. was going through failure and beyond. Is that necessary? I would say that drug, factoring in drugs, it is not necessary to go for failure. That's the wonder of, of PDs. You don't have to train as hard as in as close to failure, to failure, or beyond. You cannot go to failure and you'll still grow. Yeah. Will you grow as well? Maybe not, but also the risk of injury is a lot lower. Yeah. So there's a lot less risk of, you know, tearing a, a pec, you know, Tearing a pack, tearing a bicep, you know, tendon or muscle belly. 
the you know it's always an argument like oh you know you train like JP JP's an amazing athlete he's a fucking awesome bodybuilder but he's also a fucking shipwreck like he he tore pretty much fucking everything yeah yeah is that does that mean that his training style is wrong no it just means that it's more dangerous and some people aren't built for that like you know you see somebody that has like really tiny like myself feminine little wrists I probably am not built to lift like fucking a fuck ton of weight. So I probably need to compensate with a bit more volume. volume. Yeah. I can go to failure, you know, but I may be, I may need to up my rep range. You know, I may need to go no lower than eight reps while some guy that has, you know, like wrists the size of, you know, like Brian Shaw wrists. Yeah. I could probably go to failure easy. You know, he probably lift like a fuck ton, which he probably does. Um, so it also depends on who you are, how you're structured. Consistency, I think, is, is most important. And I actually think that most people today, they're just fucking pussies. You know, yeah. after saying all of that, that you don't need to train to failure, most people should do that just because they're fucking pussies. And yeah. this whole RIR bullshit has just made everybody like think that, oh, you know, I can go to the gym and I don't have to train hard and I can eat Twinkies and, and still look good. And like... But do you really? Like, come on. Like, good compared to who? You know, compared to yourself without all that training? Yeah, cool. But you're still not doing everything you can. And I've heard an argument on um, Scott McNally's podcast. So with all this, there was an older bodybuilder there. I forget his name, and I'm sorry for this. But he said, like, I, you know, I started off training with Dante and I knew what failure was. So this whole RIR, not going to failure bullshit, I was like, what the fuck are these kids talking about? I, mean, I don't know. So, you know, you may think you're too RIR, but if you've never went to failure, yes. do you actually know what failure is? Do you know what too RIR is? Yeah. Because Arthur Jones said, like, there is only failure and not failure. Everything else is just your fucking opinion. Your opinion doesn't matter. I don't care if you think you went two reps shy of failure. Go to failure, and then you know that was failure. Mm -hmm. After that, we can talk. Anything less than that is not failure. If the bar stops moving, you have failed. Good. So probably everybody should try to at least learn what training to failure is before starting to say, oh, no, I'm too RR. No, if you actually go to failure, then you'll know that, oh, I wasn't too RIR. I was 10 RIR. I was basically just fucking warming up. And this is where like we start to get into the nuances of training that I think is so fucking important. And this is what differentiates elite athletes and elite mindsets and elite bodybuilders or whatever sport you're in is like the psyche that goes into getting there, the, the arrogance and the ego to think that you're training at like, you know, a year in the gym, two years in the gym, six months in the gym is so precise and good and advanced that you know what absolute failure feels like and you know how to get there truly and mechanistically of your body to then know that you can work back from that and not have to give as much effort and you'll be in just a good a position to grow muscle. This is like, when we look at this research, I fucking hate sports science and nutrition science research as a collective presentation of information because we never speak on it from the position of like, who is this designed for? It's always spoken from someone being like, uh, you know, they'll say this and then a coach gets that data from another coach or another coach who goes, oh, well, my population, they don't need to go to failure because this is what the research says. Fucking cool, man. However, 
the likelihood is that if you train a nuanced newbie to intermediate athlete, whether it be bodybuilder, gen pop, whether it be just someone fucking going to the gym, they're so new to training stimuli <clears throat> that they don't even know what the sensation beyond the burn feels like to say, actually, I went to failure. Their perception of a failure, because to me, failure is a learnt skill. It is a psychological and physiological learned skill to know that the norepineptors and the pain receptors are not going to stop you from hurting. You can push past that. You can psychologically intervene and say, I'm going to keep going. I have the capacity. I've been under that before. I know what it feels like. I can get past that without injuring myself. I can push past that pain point and I can get going. There's another three reps here. Like 1% of people have that skill. I still find that skill in myself every day. I've been competing now for four and a half, five years. So even at my level, I'm like, I can consistently find how to train harder and better. So there's no way that I know what true failure is yet. I have my perception of failure. And that is, like you said, the bar stops moving or I've predetermined the range of motion in which I decide that's a pretty shit rep and doesn't count as a rep. I've predetermined that and I can establish that. So I know that if the bar doesn't get there, that's not a rep, I've failed. But I'm continually finding ways to make sure that my stability is better, my control is better, my cadence is improved, all those things. That's the signs of a mid-level to advanced mindset of an athlete. To think that the average person has that capacity where I'm going to worry about programming my, my Greg or Phil, oh, this, is, this week is a four RAR. Motherfucker, if you take that athlete and have him describe what RAR is and describe what, what a four RAR looks like, he's giving you a nine RAR and it's basically some fluff weight on, on the fucking on the bar. Literally one of my first skills, and again, like I, I knew that these were just going to be tangents back and forth between both of us, but one of the first <laughs> assessments that I do with a client is, you know, I go through their movement mechanics, send me the videos because we're online coaches. So that's, you know, it, it's hard to always assess. So send me on, uh, send me your, your videos with a decent angle so I can see front, back and side of the, these major movement patterns. But then what I also want you to do is pick a machine, just pick any machine that you want to do because machine safety is fucking easy. It's stable. It's into, it's externally stabilized. So it makes it easy to fail on. It's not going to hurt anyone. Pick a machine that you know that you can train hard on. Whether most people, that's like a leg extension. It's a bicep curl. It's a preacher curl machine, something like that, or a fucking shoulder press. It's fixed. It's stable. You have three points of contact. You can generate force. Easy. Pick a weight that you think you'll fail eight to 12 reps on. Like in, I reckon you, you will get like, and when I say failure, I mean, it is not moving. I don't care how it looks. It's just not moving. You're not, you're not going to get it done. Most of my clients that I've had, and it's not an insult to them, it's purely recognition of a learned skill they don't have yet because that's why people come to coaches. They will get 15, 20, 25. I've had hack squats where guys have picked a weight and they got 25 reps and I asked them for 12. For absolute failure. They've picked a weight and they've got 25 reps. And I'm like, what justice am I doing to this client I'm taking their money and I'm going to say, or well, for the next four to six weeks, we're going to do a four RER program. <clears throat> Fucking based on what? Whose perception of failure or in reserve are we using to say that this is the rep scheme we need to work in? How about we just go, you know what? The skill that comes from failing under stress and load is going to force you to get better and you're going to realize that you have resilience and it's going to develop mental and psychological skills that will teach you to go harder. This now cross-correlates to the rest of your life. It, it teaches you things in business, in school, in study, in sport, in nutrition. You'll know what it's like to be hungry and you can be hungrier. You'll know what it's like to be fed and you can be more fed. You know what it's like to be tired and still study. The cross-relevance here is that go to fucking failure and then you'll realize that wasn't actually failure. You had more in the tank. You were just bitching out. But you needed to know that by going there. So anyone who hasn't gone there hasn't got the capacity to say, oh, you actually need to work two reps in reserve from that. Because even the reps you are getting two reps in reserve on are like a four or five. 
And then, you know, like we talked about, the very fucked up psychological strategies that elite athletes use to envision things and do things. And I've, I have no issues talking about it. I've talked about it many times. The visualization skill that I use to amp up anger and frustration or arousal and emotion, and then also drive the understanding of tired or fatigued. If I'm on a top set of a hack squat or a pendulum or a fucking RDL or a shoulder press, and I'm like not feeling it, or I'm like, this is going to fucking hurt. I will literally picture my father sitting in his chemo chair. That dude went through cancer for 10 years. He drip fed cancer four to six hours twice a week. And I had to sit there and take him to the seat and watch him do it. Do you think I'm going to sit there and debate tired or fucking failure with him? That motherfucker didn't have a choice. I get to have, I get to choose to be under this weight and I'm going to look at him. And the funny part is the way I would envision it is him calling me a bitch whilst he's sitting in his chemo chair, basically dying. Like if that doesn't make you go past, like find something to go past failure, then I don't know what the fuck will, but that's not a strategy that everyone's learned, right? Like that's not a skill that everyone has available to them. That's not something that everyone's experienced to go. I can tap into that, to use that as a strategy to go harder because it's, it's something that you have to experience or go through or figure out or find to go. That's fucked up. But again, we're going to debate the nuances of like this weird, Oh, we can actually do less and get more, but you're already doing less. So how does that give you more by doubling down on doing less? People don't understand this. People don't understand what it's like to. I've literally had gym sessions where I was in a fucking trance. Like you, you couldn't talk to me. Like people came up to me and I, I just literally stared them down and they went away because I, I couldn't be bothered. That's the kind of mental mindset you need to be in to train to failure. Is like literally, you know that there's some deep dark corners of your fucking past or your fucking mind that you need to go to to get those reps. And when you go there, boy, is it not fun, but that gets results. And the, the worst part is that people are like, oh, well, I don't want to be angry and sad and this. Like, well, then you're just a pussy. And then just you have to fucking accept that and sit in your chair and, you know, go and play Xbox or whatever and leave the fucking gym to the people that actually want to fucking train. You need to go to dark places to get fucking results. You're, you know, nobody fucking went to failure on fucking anything thinking about, oh, I'm going to eat chicken today. No, nobody gives a fuck about that. Nobody gives a fuck about how happy you are. Like, look at fucking Ronnie Coleman. Do you, do you think he went to like a really happy place when he did all of those fucking heavy lifts? Like, do you think you you're actually a sane person and a really happy person to do what fucking Ronnie Coleman did? And you know what? He's not repentive. I think that's his greatest quality. His only regret was not doing that extra fucking rep. Yeah, and that should be yours. That should yeah. all. That should be your only fucking regret. Hundred percent. I I don't understand. You know, bodybuilding was this like niche cult sport where people actually train hard. And now it's just like, oh, you know, let's be fucking inclusive and let's let all the other fucking chicken neck motherfuckers come into the gym and, you know, like, let them train like pussies and, oh, let, let's, you know, let's pat them on the back and tell them, oh, you're doing great. Like, this whole high-five bullshit that's going on in the gym, like, people high-fiving themselves for what? For being mediocre? For being subpar? For doing shit? For just doing a set of leg extensions while talking to their buddy? For what? Are you getting a high five for what? You should get a high five in the face with a fucking 20 kilo barbell. That's what you should be fucking getting. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs>
it's just the, the funniest part is it's not exactly wrong. It's no, like it's not legal, but it's it's not wrong. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, it's something to me that like I hate this whole experience participation trophy of these types of sports. Like, like there are going to be some extremities that come in. There are out. There are extremities that are required to be at the level that gets a result, that gets significant time on stage, that gets a placing, that gets recognized, that gets appreciated. There is degrees of discomfort, of extremity, of disgust, of neurotic behavior, of narcissism, of fucking psychosis. The psyche of the human that gets to where uh, Ian Vallier gets to, or a Regan Grimes, or a Branch Warren, or a fucking Ronnie, or a Jay, or Derek Lunsford, if a new guy, Samson. They're 37 to 40 years old, pushing their body like as if they're 20 at a rate of growth still occurring that defies science. Like there is, they are literally fighting science and time to improve and get better at ages they shouldn't be. And we're trying to think that like, we can, we can find a way to soften up. Like, even if you take drugs, the likelihood that you train hard enough to need RAR to the degree that people try to push it, I think is such bullshit. First of all, get sure if you're going to use them, and, and you know it's not a medical advice fucking program. I'm not saying do that, but let's say you do it. If you think by taking that you can instantly work less, you're already at a disadvantage of every single person up there that is more than willing to do double the workload, because it's to me more logical to go to the failure point and just assume that you can't get there truly. So it's better to aim for it and miss than it is to assume you already get there and and then aim less, because what was yeah what was actually two steps shy of failure, which you perceived as failure. So you went there anyway, you're now at five steps shy of failure and you're not even close because we know in androgenics, in anabolics, in the, the forms of, of non, uh, non-androgenic exogenous hormones that we take, your perception of recovery improves, the way you feel improves, the way you do that. So you will potentially feel better and you'll probably get stronger and bigger anyway. So you're like, oh, I don't need to go that hard. But- think about how many effective reps you leave on the table by not doing so. How many reps have you left for grabs because you're like, oh, well, I felt like that was a pretty good set. I've got increased blood cells and a blood flow and I had a pump. Well, yeah, of course you fucking did. You're on these supplements. Of course that made you feel better and you got a better pump. But that doesn't mean you don't go to failure because now you've left four reps. Now work that out per per set. So you have a 20 set working program uh, for that day. You've left 80 reps on the table that were not effective. Or that you that could have been effective that you didn't get for that program for that day. Now work that over a week of six sessions. Now work that over a fucking year of a macro phase. The amount that you've left on the table by trying to hold some back, when the reality is you won't even get there in the first place. Fucking what? It, 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 again, you know th- this is this is what boggles me. And there, you know, there are absolutely reasons to not go to extreme failure. But most people, again, they do not know what that fucking yes. is. And and the problem is if you, let's say, you shoot the go to failure, most likely if you're on a, you know, a fucking Tuesday, you're going to the gym and, you know, it's just, you know, you, you got off your job, you know, you went to the gym and you're training. You're probably not going to fit, hit the same failure that you would hit if you're going in there with the sole goal of just fucking crushing yourself. And you had to have another psychopath next to you screaming and mm-hmm. punching you in the face. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's, 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 it's a diff- it, there's a difference. You know, it's not the same. Your version of failure as, you know, on a regular fucking Wednesday or Tuesday 
isn't the same as you going into the gym with that one specific goal and with people that have also that one specific goal yeah. and yeah. are there to push you. It, it, it's different. And again, people, you know, if they want to work out and, you know, just have fun and whatever, cool, you know, you can go do that. The gym's open for fucking everybody. Just, just you know, just don't try to make everybody be as mediocre and subpar as you are just just don't try to do that just don't try to fucking tell people like oh you know i'm mediocre why don't you why don't you be mediocre with me like no fuck you you know you can do your mediocre shit i'll do my fucking hardcore shit it's easy you know things aren't supposed to mix some things are just not supposed to mix i guess that's the one of the exciting parts about bodybuilding and enhanced bodybuilding is that it's got the extremities that basically remove that population from the data. Like once we get to the real true outliers, like you were saying before, we, we bring in the drugs, cool. But to get to the top, like the true cream of the crop of this 8 billion population on earth of physique development, your the, the, the balance of the scorecard, the balance of life and how things should be easy for everyone. And I want to be, I want to be a pro bodybuilder, says the guy who puts it in his bio before he's even competed and does like two sets a week that might be hard, maybe. <laughs> and then you get to actual bodybuilding and you realize that the extra, like the game doesn't care. The extremities will find a way because that's how sample data works. There is the jet, there is the, even amongst the competitive population, there is the bell curve, the average competitor, average genetics, average drug use, whatever. They can diet a bit, train pretty hard. But the guys going pro are not only extreme in their protocols, extreme in their genetics, but they're extreme in their fucking training capacity and their, their ability to tolerate pain. It's not just their ability to train hard. It's their ability to tolerate pain and understand they can push past that pain and get more out of it. Their ability to push through the pain of hunger and take that cut of food at their size and mass and be able to be leaner than the next guy. Those things make a significant difference at the extremity and the outlier. And it, it gets to a point where like, you know, those average people that are like, yeah, I'm going to be a bodybuilder. I'm going to have some fun with it. It's a fun experience. But like, no, no, you're not a bodybuilder. Like you, you're trying to live the bodybuilding lifestyle. But when you go stand next to a, a fucking big Rami at 300 pounds or a Kai Green at 320 or, you know, a, a fucking Rolly Winkler, or you want to go stand next to even the newer guys coming up, you got like Hunter, Samson, you got Nick Walker. They like, I heard this debate once from a, a podcast here in Australia or this segment. It was basically like enhanced guys don't know what they're doing with training. Um, you know, basically like the implication that enhancing just means you're trying to, again, cheat or, or shortchange the distance and all this weird shit. No matter what level, no matter what, if you're on the Olympia stage and you're on the pro status, you just have to accept that just regardless of drugs, they have got something right because they've literally pushed the human body to such an extremity that doesn't make sense. It defies science. The human body shouldn't be that big and sustain it. So regardless of your opinions of their training protocols and their training methodology, just the fact that they train fucking beyond failure with enough volume and stimulus to force adaptation and growth and the drugs and food ability to, have to, to handle that, to get to 300 pounds lean, they've done something right. You can't dismiss and be like, oh, they use drugs, so therefore it doesn't count. They don't know what they're doing. They should learn from you know, science-based coaching. Cool, they should. They should, for sure. Fantastic. But they're literally the top 10 in the world, and they're fucking nailing it. You, you can't even remotely take that away. 
That's what like the greatest thing about the extremity is that it just shuts everyone up. Again, you know, with the whole cream, like, you know, people saying, oh, you know, bodybuilders train like shit. Yeah, you know, probably some of them have like really weird, um, you know, techniques and then, you know, the, the execution of some exercises aren't like standard or aren't like, you know, bull ROM or whatever. But you're not taking into account the consistency. They're doing that every fucking yeah. day for years. Mm-hmm. Yes. And they are genetically. And, you know, when you're talking about range of motion, first off, I think the whole full ROM thing is, is I don't think it, it's, it's a thing. I think you don't always need to go full ROM because the full range of motion of a joint isn't the full range of motion of the muscle that you're working. You, at some point, you're just starting to use other muscles just to get your joint in a different position. And, you know, I, I like uh, Mike Van Wick's uh, part, like full active range of tension. I think, yeah, the, the range where you have tension on the, the actual muscle that you're trying to think, I think that is more relevant. And also, if you have you ever seen a pro bodybuilder's arms? Like their bicep curl is, you know, has a lot shorter range of motion because there's just so much fucking bicep there. Yeah. They can't fucking yeah. curl their bicep to their chin because there's fucking muscle there yeah. standing They're in the way. They're not getting 180 degree fucking flexion of the wrist and then also getting slight external rotation because they physically fucking can't. Yeah, like where? They'd, they'd have to like lean sideways to actually fucking do it. <laughs> like what the fuck? Like, <laughs> God damn it. Like people don't understand when you're that big, your geometry changes, you know. Yeah. Your barbell rows would probably be like, you know, from this range of motion to like this because there's just so much fucking you in the fucking way. Yeah. What the fuck are you talking about? Have you ever seen a bodybuilder that doesn't fit in a machine? Like literally cannot fit and has to do the standing sideways, hammer string press? Yes, that's not because it's some fucking revolutionary movement. It's just because he doesn't fucking fit in the machine. So he has to do it one <laughs> arm at the fucking time. <laughs> you know, then you see like this fucking 150 pound skinny ass motherfucker just doing that. Oh yeah, I'm gonna have a chest like Nick Walker. No, Nick Walker can't fit in the fucking machine. You oh, can fit in there. Probably two of you can fit in the fucking machine. I love I love people nowadays that will see like the current pros program or because everyone has access to them now on YouTube's and Instagrams. They'll see the exercise they do currently and they're just like, oh, that's what I'm going to, you know, this is what Big Ramey did to get massive cords or this is what this guy did to get massive lifts. Like you look at Ian Vallier, he's talked about it a hundred times. He's like, he had like a 500 pound bench press and like a 300 pound squat. And he's like, I, I, I did those things when I built my way up. That was the foundation I laid. That's what I did at the start. Fucking heavy training, hard training consistently when everyone else was out partying and drinking and not sleeping and all that sort of shit. He's like, that's what I was doing even at the collegiate level because I got past sprinting. It wasn't what I was going to do. So you then do that. And he says, even recently, he's like, you know, I'm at the age now where I want to do this long-term for another couple of years. I can't afford to put that toll on my body. So he's doing like the exercises now that sure, he still trains hard and heavy, but it will do more externally stabilized machines. He'll do more externally stabilized equipment to help reduce that risk. Then you get these fuckheads that are just like, yeah, Ian's doing this machine now. And I'm going to do this fucking thing. And that's going to help me grow 20 pounds. I look like Ian in six months time. Motherfucker. What you're dismissing the impact of genetics, drugs, his original training history, and then having the arrogance and ego to think that I can do a six month program or a four week program. I'm going to start putting on Ian Valier's chest or quads or back. And it's like, do you, do you really think that much of yourself 
and that little of genetics, drugs, food, and consistency. It's it's just mind boggling, and not only that, but uh, it, people fail to grasp the concept that what Ian Valier is using is not going to get you to Ian Valier's size. Like you know, say like you see people like, oh, I found the fucking Andreas Munzer's death stack. I'm going to take that. Like, yeah, well, first off, Andreas Munzer is dead, so that's a pretty good indicator to not do that. And two, <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, pretty good. Like, taking fucking Captagon, which is, like, probably worked in just street met, is probably not the smartest move on your end. You know, like, relying on, you know, injectable, you know, IV drips of amphetamine to to stay awake and fucking train like a fucking madman yeah that's probably not the smartest move but also i don't think he started there i think he worked his way up so why don't you think like that why don't you think like okay i may start with a very mild course i may escalate that i may have a you know a one year two year five year ten year plan to get there uh, instead of saying i'll get to ian size in six months i say okay i'm gonna use the next 10 years with the goal of maybe reaching Ian's size. And, you know, if I see that in two years, I'm not even remotely close to being something that Ian looked two years into his training or four years, because I may have shit genetics, you know, I might say, okay, I'm not going to go that route. I'm not going to push the drugs as hard. I'm not going to push the training as hard because I know I can't get there. So I'll just train for fun and I will do something else with my life. Like, I don't become a fucking engineer or a scientist or whatever not everybody's made for fucking bodybuilding and at the pro level it's you know they're all they all have genetics they all have access to the drugs they all you know eat clean and they are all consistent with the training so at some point it's just you know drug response and drug tolerance Mm -hmm. you know ronnie coleman i think that was his greatest gift just consistency sticking to the fucking plan and just he could tolerate a fuck ton of drugs. <laughs> I mean, yeah, just the fact that this chat didn't even touch on pharmacokinetics or dynamics and the impacts that they <laughs> like. Ugh, this is what this is what gets this is what gets me makes me laugh was when you know like we'll wrap it up shortly just because we'll go for four hours like I said, but <laughs> it, it it amuses the fuck out of me when people start to talk about things like I I get people talk about. Um, you know, in the mindset space here, because like I study psychology, so a large part of how I coach includes a large chunk mm-hmm. of that. You know, you're very similar. You know, you're very aware of Dalt, and you know, I learned a lot from him in my field of study. Now at the university, it's what we do, but it's very different. I don't use mindset as to pat someone on the ass and go, you know, you're great the way you are. Like I use it to say, hey, fucking pull your head out of your ass and do some work. But we get people where they're like, you know, uh, how do you even explain it? we're looking at these weird dichotomies, like, you know, looking at like um, anti, anti-anxiety, anti-depression as cheating life somehow for people that <clears> genuine, <throat> genuinely have serotonin or dopamine uptake inhibition. They can't regulate the dopamine properly. So they actually have these problems with focus. They have these problems with feeling good about themselves or regulating emotions because they, they can't actually regulate the chemicals and hormones that allow that to happen. And so we get these, these people just like, oh, but, you know, we should do this before, you know, interventions in life should be more optimized or they should go out and get some sun or they should go. And we have these weird understandings of how drugs actually work and then go, we're going to cure chemically imbalanced depression with sunlight and some cold baths. And you're like, you don't even understand how firstly 
the, the interactions or the pharmacokinetics and the pharmacodynamics of drugs and what they do and what these chemicals are playing with and what the problem is to even have this opinion about what should be done. But yet we have these people get these really heavy opinions about certain drugs or certain topics or certain protocols and what, why it shouldn't be used or why it shouldn't be implemented. I'm like, I've got a client who literally went through manic depression and major manic disorder. Won't even use names. Like, is it not relevant? But the impact <clears throat> that occurred when those uh, prescription medications were implemented by someone above me, like as, a, as a medically prescribed professional, the changes in data, I, I color code some of my spreadsheets so that people can see where things are working and what they aren't. The reds to greens that occurred over like 20 weeks, life-changing person, two different people. But we have this weird notion, like there's people that fight against things they don't understand which is you know, the pharmacodynamics, the pharmacokinetics, the utilization of the drugs, the reason why the drugs exist, what they're used for, how they even work. And we get these huge opinions and then we're going to have these weird debates about them without now knowing why the fuck we're using them. And like the fact that this is nearly two hours into a chat and we didn't even get down that route of talking about you know the, the intricacies and interactions and systematic processes of those drugs and the things that they do and why people actually might need them, why they're actually beneficial. We just have this weird taboo that like this idea that everything can be lifestyle fixed or everything is like, you know, oh, this person just, they're just having a bad day or, you know, they just, I don't even fucking know, you know, they just need more sun or they need to go out for a walk in nature <clears throat> or, you know, this drug is cheating somehow. It's like, do you fucking hear yourself? Like, do you, do you really hear yourself speak and think that's the solution or the problem when you can't even explain to me what pharmacokinetics even means or what pharmacodynamics means? All the intricacies and interactions that the drugs actually do. That's one thing that I I see all the time is people that are low T, but low T is not what you know, not what most people think. It's not the range. It's the range is for I think males between nineteen and or twenty and forty nine. So if a 20-year-old is on the low end and a 49-year-old is on the higher end, they, they're both okay. Yeah. So literally a father and son can be at extreme opposites with the son being at the low end and the father being at the high end. And the doctor wouldn't say like, yeah, that's not normal. We should probably give this, this little kid here, like you should probably give him some, something. No, because he's not below the medically, you know, the medical range. I think if your testosterone is 300, nanograms per deciliter and i think the cutoff point is like 260 or something like that so if you're just bordering above you know just above that low t line and you feel like complete shit you know and a doctor doesn't want to give you testosterone i think that doctor's fucking retarded I, I i know that probably medically he cannot you know because of laws he cannot prescribe you but I, I think that it's it's retarded. I think that needs to be changed because I've seen some pretty depressed, weak people, and they were like not weak in the sense that oh you you're you're a weak cunt, you know you're, you don't have motivation. No, like literally skin and bones, osteoporosis at fucking twenty four. Like they they had no facial hair. They they looked like a like you know somebody just going through puberty like. If you saw their face, you know, you could put a wig and you say like, oh, that's a little girl. And if you put in, you know, if you cut their hair, it's like, oh, that's a little boy. But no, that's a fucking grown ass adult. Yeah. Doesn't look like one. Yeah. Because, you know, they were low T and 
you know, doctors, as long as they're all they're in the range, we can't do anything. Like, yeah, but you're literally ruining somebody's life. And that's, I think that needs to be addressed. You know, I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's understanding the role that drugs were literally designed to play, which was to help facilitate or improve a problem to allow something to occur in the body that is perhaps not able to occur itself. Or like, you know, we've used, you know, we've found ways like things like, uh, what was it? They, they created insulin from the, they're extracting pancreases from, um, yeah, pigs. Fucking, from what was it? Pigs. Yeah, pigs. Pigs. And we're like, oh, we can actually do yeah. this another way and make this more efficient. We don't have to kill 10,000 pigs and take the pancreas and extract the insulin. Oh, it turns out there's other ways we can get it. Like, fantastic. They, these things are designed in ways that allow us to improve health science and improve the health of the human. But then there's some ways, like, and I had this debate with someone recently where, you know, the average, the, the human male was not designed to live for 100 years. We were literally designed, uh, the, the, the species itself, the, the job of the body is to reproduce. The cell is, wants to reproduce. Find a mate, put your seed in it, allow it to reproduce, occur as many times as possible, and you're going to allow the existence of the species to thrive and survive. That will require you to be 35, 40. That's the top end where it was like, beyond that, you probably don't need to be here any longer. The rest of it is joy and pleasure. But medical science and medical systems and the health system is allowing us to live and evolve, evolve live to a point where we're 75, 80, 85, 90. We go through andropause in most, most men, we're starting to see the downregulation of testosterone and, and general sex hormones at the age of 40. Maybe even sooner for some people, if they really re live, do live a bitch lifestyle, they just live shit. 35 to 40. Now you're supposed to live to 90 without the health of the help of what TRT can do or what testosterone can do for you. The, uh, this weird notion of like, I draw the line on drugs, right? I draw like, we should be natural, let the body dictate, blah, blah, blah. But also you should live to your 90 and require someone to wipe your ass and be decrepit and broken and have osteoarthritis and, you know, every disease under the sun and have prostate cancer. Or we could teach you how to live healthier and train harder and eat right, do some sort of physical activity, have a goal-orientated lifestyle, but also introduce some TRT for the rest of your life. Like, it's weird to me that we have this perception of drugs and medical or or pharmaceutical grade drugs that are designed to help us and all we do is like again it comes back to like you said that perception of things back in the 60s and the 50s in these sporting communities where the perception of what a drug did it now creates a taboo that we can't talk about and that is that testosterone is just cheating motherfucker you woke up with testosterone in your body you need it you have it what why would you want to go the next 40 years of your life without it being produced that doesn't make sense to me but we have these weird taboos where it's like, well, because we know it's associated <clears> with cheating, that it's bad and it's 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 edgy and it's you know under the counter, it's under the table and it's it's taboo to talk about. Bro, this could save your fucking life. Mentally, this could stop you from killing yourself, or whatever term Instagram allows you to share now, self-delete or the fuck the word is. Like, <laughs> it, oh, it could save that from happening by actually turning you into someone that's fucking better. Because that's a job of testosterone all around is to make a man thrive and conquer. Let's be very fucking real. That's yeah. his job. There's a reason why Conan the Barbarian's famous phrase is like, uh, fucking, uh, uh, fuck, damn it. Fuck me. It's fucking my favorite. No, it's like, they are like, they hear the lamentation of their women. Yes. Yeah. That's literally like, if we're to fucking summarize testosterone and what it does, survive, thrive, conquer, and expand. Like it is very simply like allowing that to happen, but we get to this and, and we, we start talking about it. People are like, Oh, that no, we can't do that. Kind of that. Like 
drugs are bad. Medicine is bad. Having these things in your system to help you live as a functioning human, that's terrible. I wasn't born with that issue, but it doesn't affect me, but I'm going to tell you, you can't have it. it, it it's, it's, it's literally retarded. You know, you'd have people on like, oh, so I take this blood pressure medication and I take uh, this medication and that medication. And you're like five different medications, but you're not, you know, but testosterone's bad. No, no, no TRT. Just, uh, you know, your blood pressure pills and, and your boner pills and the fucking thing. And they're like, yeah, why don't you take some testosterone actually work out? And you'll see that, oh, I'm actually active. So my blood pressure will be lower. Yeah. Oh, I'm actually having androgens in my body. So my dick's hard again. Yeah. Oh, cool. I don't need all this fucking medication now. I can just take this little jab, you know, once a week or every two weeks. Awesome. Who would have thought of that? Hmm. Fucking retarded. One of my one of my favorite examples to just really stir people and make them feel like shit is dad went through such a high dose chemotherapy, right? So we have like, you know, the standard radiation levels they allow is like what's a health, health acceptable radiation dose. The the he had to extract stem cells from his bone marrow to restart his body after the fact because what they what they put him through basically shut down his whole system. It was like, I think the first trial was a hundred times radiation acceptability. The second time was a thousand times radiation acceptability. Then they had to put the stem cells back in to restart his body because he literally was just, it just shut down. He was, that's it. He had renal failure, cardiac failure, every fucking system failure. And they're like, all right, we're going to put stem cells back in to start it back up. Now, after that, he got TRT. Finally, after fucking years of saying like his system was shutting down. Is that cheating? Is he now cheating life because he had some fucking TRT to prevent muscle atrophy, which was literally half the reason most oral steroids were made in the first place was to prevent things like cancers and breast cancers and this type of cancer and that type of cell fucking degeneration. So is, is that cheating? Is he, is that a taboo thing to talk about that he needed that to just live a little less pain life for the remainder that he was here? Fucking what? You know, but, but tell somebody that and like, Oh, uh, Drugs are bad. Don't take drugs. Don't take steroids. <laughs> fuck off. Don't fuck yourself. <laughs> All right. I've got some questions to finish <sighs> off so that we don't. Otherwise, again, we're going to be here for fucking five hours and I love it. <laughs> it's my fantastic. I, like, I'm just going to invite you back like weekly and just like, let's do the pot about this. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm always up for a chat. <laughs> I'm just going to fucking find something that's pissed me off and be like, oh, this will definitely piss you off. <laughs> okay, what's your what's your five favorite to, uh, uh, myths or BS perceptions of androgenic anabolics? What's the what's five that you would wish would fuck off because people are just retarded and get it wrong? Oh, the the first one, you know, if if you take steroids, you, you can't have kids. Like the whole fertility <laughs> oh, yeah. bullshit. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> dumb. That, that that needs to go. Uh, second would be you know the whole. Test is best. You know, you need to take more tests. Like, no, you don't need a gram of test. You, you know, you, ah, yeah. you you don't need, you know, you don't need one gram of testosterone in your body. At its peak would produce maybe 100 milligrams worth per week. Take two or three times that and be okay. Maybe a bit more if needed. But no, you don't need fucking 10 times that. At some point, you're just like asking for trouble. And then you need you know, an anti-estrogen and something to, you know, 5-alpha reductase inhibitor and blood pressure meds and need to donate blood every fucking two weeks because you're just an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fuck, let me think. Um, I'm starting to get really, really 
pissed about the whole, uh, you know, neurotoxicity lingo. It's like, you know, this drug is neurotoxic, that drug is whatever. Um, yes, maybe, but maybe you don't understand the fact that some drugs just have a more potent psychological effect, like trembolone. I don't think it's necessarily neurotoxic. I just think that's the way it works. It just makes you more aggressive. And if you want to label it as neurotoxicity, cool, but I don't think it is that. I think it's just one of the drug's secondary effects. Or maybe a primary effect if you're just taking it to be more aggressive. I think that's another thing uh, that, you know, we can talk about this, you know, in depth. I think the whole neurotoxicity is way overblown. Uh, There's been some studies that show that extended periods of nandrolone use can cause some sort of plaque. Um, But I still, I still think that's like, we're we're talking about people who takes who take grams for years yeah. and a very nominal plaque buildup. So, uh, was that three? Then, uh, oh yeah, I'm I'm gonna let, leave leave my favorite one for last. I'm gonna go with the <laughs> the bioidentical, like you know, or or th- this drug is not bioidentical, or this drug hasn't been you know, approved for clinical use. Like, motherfucker, without the exception of some fucking uh, drugs that were labeled as pro-hormones like um, Superdrol, which is just methylated um, drosanolone, Mastron, all drugs have been created for medical use and have been put on the market with medical purposes. Even boldenone, yes, it was most, uh, it's most known as being a veterinary drug, but it was actually developed as being Dianable Depot and was put not only in clinical trials for human use, but it was actually on the market for ooh, about two years. And even precious fucking Trembolone, <clears throat> it wasn't just using cattle. It was actually a French drug. It was a Penhex Parabolin that was actually used in France in medicine. So the fact that, you know, you say some drugs weren't used in, in humans, that's bullshit. If, if, they, if they're from... <clears throat> The 30s to the 70s, then they were all used in in clinical medicine on humans. At least ethical time science was fantastic. (laughs) Fuck yeah! (laughs) Um, And then there's there's my my favorite pet peeve: Um, safer use, motherfucker. There is no safe way to take drugs. You know, if you take drugs, there will be bad things that might happen. And you need to accept that, you know, there's, there's no safer use. There is a, you know, a less dangerous way to take them. There is a completely retarded way to take them or many ways, but there is no safe use. You know, drugs are not safe. If you want something to be safe, you know, don't take drugs. You know, there's no safe way to ride a motorcycle. If you, if you want to be safe, don't get in a motorcycle, get in a Honda Civic. You know, that, that's pretty much it. Really ripping on Honda Civics. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, it's the first car that comes to my mind. I, we can go with a, a, a Skoda, or we can go with Skoda. a Volkswagen. <laughs> okay, so so to touch that question just quickly, because um, I think what you're, you're kind of discussing there is the semantics of, of of language, I guess. In that, if we use words like safer use, we're going to create this perception there's a safe way to do a drug, or there's a safe way Correct. to take drugs. When the fact is, we have to accept, like we talked about before, that the, the the admission for the, the the cost of admission is that you accept danger and risk. So 
trying to yes. word it in a way that can be perhaps misinterpreted as there's a safe way to do this. It's more like uh, in Australia, what we call the harm reduction strategy. There is a, re a harm reduction uh, potential that we can do something, which is, you know, a safer way to take drugs. Again, safer way, a better way to take a drug, but that doesn't void or nullify the, the risk. <clears throat> and by using a word like, I guess, safe use, you're implying or that the implication is that there is a safe way to take it versus a, there is a harm reductible way to take it. Yes. And, you know, you being, you know, trained in the arts of psychology, you understand this. If you tell somebody there's, if you just put the word safe in the sentence, people say, oh, it's safe. There's a safe yeah. way. Yeah. And, you know, that that's just like a free for all. Harm reduction is a better choice. And I actually like that term because it's, it has the word harm. Yeah, and reduction. So you either cause harm and then try to reduce the harm or you try to reduce the harm that is going to happen. It's not harm elimination, it's reduction. So you admit that there will, there will be some harm, but you're trying to find ways to reduce that. And that is a more accurate way of describing, you know, you know, safer use. You're not trying, there's no safe way. There's only a smarter way, an effective way, you know, you go go in, get the results, and get out. Don't linger to you know get all the negatives. Yeah, yeah, I I, I completely see. That. As you said, once once I think that is definitely an issue where if you create that perception of safety, that is going to allow people to facilitate more people to want to do it. We need to have that very real conversation with every athlete, every client, or every Joe Blow, Jimbro who thinks it doesn't matter that the the decision to take androgenic anabolics or even non-androgenic anabolics, any, any exogenous supplementation comes with a risk profile that has to be assessed and agreed upon and decided upon. And that once you're okay with that, then you should consider whether or not you actually take them. It's like something I, I tell a lot of my guys is that I've come to terms with the demons of my choices a long time ago. And so for, so for, for most part so far, it's been relatively positive. I've used smarter approaches. I have used more educated approaches. I've used better approaches, which have come with the benefit of the fact I'm still healthy. But I buried the hatchet a long time ago that that comes at the cost of no drinking, no partying, no recreational uh, supplementation. You know, I'm not doing things that are going to deliberately risk my health any further, but it's never going to say that it's safe. I've come to terms with that crossroad a long time ago, made the deal with that devil and said, this is what I'm willing to do. Yeah, exactly. And that that is a, a perfect way to frame it. You accept the fact that there are risks and that, you know, some things might happen, but you take a smarter approach. You do something in a smarter way because you know it's not safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that yeah, I think I think linguistics there matters. Like it, it's strange in ways in which the the fitness and bodybuilding and training community will say nuances matter, and then there's ways where they don't worry about the nuances. And I think in this instance, nuance of language actually becomes pretty important. Yes, 100%. Uh, all right, last question is one book that you would recommend because we'll put it into our recommended reading list for all of our clients and followers mm. and everyone subscribed to the website. Uh, one reading or one reading material that you would say everyone should go away and read. It doesn't have to be about PDs. It could be anything. Um, but what's something that you think, whether it comes to training, nutrition, psychology, uh, psychodynamics, PDs, what should we read? Well, I, I think we let's start with just the you know basic biology, Hans Selye's stress of life. 
I've I've broadly recommended I read that book and indeed it has changed my perspective because then you'll understand you know SRA curves and you'll see all the graphics that you know all the evidence based community puts out and you'll see like oh this isn't actually published in the early 1900s oh because it it's basically describes the the rules by which biology functions there's a stress there's the gas principle, general adaptive syndrome. There's adaptation that comes as a consequence of the stress. You stress the body and it either adapts and continues to exist or it dies. That's pretty much how training works as well. And if you frame it in that way and you understand this concept, then you'll understand more about, you know, failure, going to failure, recovery. You know, you understand more about why you need to not only hang yourself in the gym, but then also recover from that what's you know progressive overload why you know there's certain you know maximum recoverable volume if you want to frame it in rp terms and minimum effective dose you'll get a better understanding of, of everything if you just formulate everything based on the gas principle yeah i i as a kind of related tangent <clears throat> small one i was literally seeing this in life and people that were succeeding i was literally people that, people that were succeeding had this really strange ability to handle psychological load and not much else. Like, like not much else was like any, any different about them. Like realistically, they're the same tenacious traits, they have the same, you know, grit, determination, uh, high conscientiousness, high neuroticism. But what I was seeing was basically like they always had this some sort of like resilient story, some sort of like foundational story of, of stress and adaptation. And I was like, this, this, this is the, the, and even myself, when I started to identify it, I realized it started to fit the same general gas principle structure. I was like, this basically makes the same sense. And what I was finding is I kind of turned it because I couldn't find a clinical definition, but I was calling it to a degree, either cognitive or psychological um, hypertrophy and pair that with psychological cognitive progressive overload is that every time, every time we go through a form of, of very intense psychological stress, a high degree of experiential trauma, things like, you know, whatever that might be a stress of some sort, psychologically heavy amounts. I mean, serious things. It usually makes or breaks people. So like training, you get to the point where it either makes or breaks you, either you recover from it or you don't, or you realize where that maximum range is, you probably need to take a step back. The ones that tend to be tenacious enough and resilient enough to get through it, they've now set a new threshold or minimum effective dose that is, or maintainable volume that they can operate from. And from there is where they scaffold the next thing. Oh, well, I could handle being a, a, a mid-level manager. Now I'm going to stack the next thing, try that next level. I'm going to try that next thing to work from. Now I've got that new level of stress. I've got this new exposure. I've got this new thing that I can handle. It's fucking a lot, but I've got through it. Okay, I know now in the future that I can handle this load. I can do it again. What else is next? I can scale from that. And you have this general adaptation syndrome where you're cognitively adapting to the stress. And each time you go through it, you have a new base level to operate from that you can psychologically handle. And you essentially create this, almost like this pillar-like scaffolding structure of going through more and more hardship, deliberately seeking out hard times and hard efforts and hard work and hard load. But each time it, it builds you a new level, you're at a new, almost like a new baseline to operate from, from which you then take to the next step. Same with like your training set volume, the same with your muscle mass. Like you've now got the muscle to this level, you now build the next program based off that. You know, now you have accumulation phase, all that sort of shit. We're going through the same process. And I started to see it. I'm like, that actually, it makes a lot of sense. Just a very foundational, even thriving of people that are successful apply a very similar psychological structure of gas principle that seems to hold true. Expose yourself to cognitive stress, physiological stress or physiological psychological demand. Realize that you're resilient enough to handle it, push through the pain barrier, get to that next level. 
now you can fucking reset that or you, you've got that template to work from scaffold again do it again again eventually you're like oh i couldn't handle a girlfriend breaking up with me now i handle million dollar contracts with fucking ceos in the room like it's not done in one process but you realize like that mental resilience is a scaffolded form of progressive overload and that's that's you know again the whole building up to it process you know you can't go from being like you know a cashier to being the ceo of a bank you know in one swoop you know you just just can't be like oh okay i'm a bank teller and next day i'm the ceo no you have to go to different steps because if you get to that high level you know overnight the pressure and the stress you you can't cope with It'll it fuck you up you die you just don't adapt yeah yeah all right mate any uh any links details cool. we need information where do we find you where do we find broads where do we find team evil genius well, basically, wherever you find Team Evil GSP, this little logo right here, everything is Team Evil GSP, Instagram, um, Facebook. Any emails are t- at teamevilgsp.com. So you can find me on the Instagram page of Team Evil GSP. You'll find my own page there linked. I'll give you the link. It's basically just my name and my initials. So it, it, it's, uh, it doesn't matter too much, but I'll give you the link and yeah, you can find me anywhere. Find team evil GSP. We do have a membership site members.teamevilgsp.com. It's a uh, $20 a month or $200 a year. Yes, that's right. Uh, we have a lot of, you know, cool merchandise like t-shirts, a lot of coffee. ebooks. You probably know all of them. Yeah. Coffee cups. So definitely <laughs> coffee cups. Broads and, fucking yeah, coffee. A lot of, Oh, he's, He's just crazy about that. Every time we, we go somewhere, the first place coffee shop, which is a very good venue. <laughs> the very good first stop. I, um, I reckon he'd genuinely yeah, be insulted and, if I told him my fucking coffee selection. We just drink like black Makona five here, <laughs> and I reckon it'd just straight piss him off. Yeah, he'll he'll probably need a need a cup cup of coffee to cope with that bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> These fucking coffee losers. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I appreciate your time so, so much. And I know this went even longer than I said it would, which is fucking hilarious because I literally said it's probably going to go longer. <laughs> but I mean, once we start ranting about dumb shit and talking drugs and training and athletes, like it's always going to go longer than you expect. People love it too much. I love it too much. So, yeah. Well, thank you for having me. And yeah, uh, we'll chat again soon and we'll talk more shit about more people. <laughs>